0: to the sideline and it's intercepted by Kyler Gordon the eight-yard line for the to throw looking left the whole way first down it's matters jones inside the 15 and jones down the sideline will score a touchdown welcome everybody to the season finale of draft on tap and those highlights have me fired up defense defense the draft is over people are still kind of wondering was this a good draft or a bad draft or we've got people in the cap saying this is a great draft and others are saying why didn't they get Justin Fields any help so but it has been a few days now things have started to sink in and we're going to have the benefit of Courtney Cronin of uh, ESPN joining us in just a few minutes and then a little later it'll be Chris Emma of 670 to score but first let's bring in the stars of the show they are of course Danny Shiman and Neil Stopchinski guys how are you?
1: doing great uh it's 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 been about a week after the draft kind of everything kind of settled down settled in i've i've calmed down after that second round selection so you know i've kind of kind of come come to grips with it so uh i think it's i think overall after i looked at the draft analyzed the draft overall kind of took a step back i think i think it was a solid draft for for ryan Poles' first draft in in my opinion uh I, i think uh Although you and I were talking pre, you know, pre, before the show started, like you know, I think he's he's got two, you know, starters for sure, and and with the two first picks, and I think he's got potentially another you know, two starters with those offensive linemen. I'm not sure if that'll be this year or next year, but I think you know. So it, all in all, I think he got four to five starters out of this draft. And hey, if you get four or five starters out of a draft out of 11 picks, that's hell of a draft. So I, I think that's how it's going to play out. We'll see if that actually you know comes to fruition. Stopper, how are you?
2: I'm phenomenal, man. I'm phenomenal. Kind of, kind of run down a little bit. You know, it's been a busy, busy week. Mm -hmm. Uh, You know, high school football is in spring evaluation period. So it's been nonstop offers and evaluations and guys popping up, Um, barely had any sleep. Um, But uh, in terms of the draft though, man, I'm, you know, every day that's gone by, I feel better and better about it. You know, one of the areas on this team that I felt just scared out of my mind about was the secondary. And we have, we have, we rebroached the secondary brought in a couple of playmakers. Hopefully they, they, they pan out the way that uh, they, they ended up on the draft boards and then the offensive line, like Danny touched on, you know, hopefully two stars come on this group. I, I'm very hopeful about this offensive line. I, I think that, you know, where we got all these guys, you know, we were never going to be in a position really to get two guys that are going to come in and play right off the bat with the way that they apparently, you know, uh, uh, schemed out what they were going to do on draft day. We got a couple of uh, really interesting and, and talented uh, developmental guys and, uh, you know, a, a couple other guys that, that down the road could eventually, de, you know, develop into studs. So, um, you know, re- really amped up about that over the course of the past few days. I feel better and better about this class and uh, really interested about a couple of these undirected free agents, to be honest with you.
0: Yeah, for sure. There's some interesting names. There's no doubt about it. Um, Neil, you booked our first guest, so I'm going to give you the honors of introducing her.
2: Yeah. So Courtney Cronin from... Uh, ESPN. We met uh, while we were down in Mississippi together. She was working for Clarion Ledger, right? You were at Clarion Ledger? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was at Mississippi State. She was at Clarion Ledger. She'd be around all the time for practices. Uh, honestly, one of the big J journalists of, of, of our time right now. She does an amazing job, um, you know, and we're happy to have her back here in Chicago. So, Courtney, you know, welcome on the show. Tell us a little bit about uh, where you are now and where you came from.
3: Yeah, I appreciate you guys inviting me. It's been two just over two months since I switched beats. I covered the Minnesota Vikings for ESPN from 17 to 2022. And really just kind of wrapped up my coaching search and GM search up there and then just switched beats right away. Uh, so it's been great. I, I love being back home as you can tell, like this is not modern decor. So like, I'm not in my own place right now. I'm currently with, uh, residing with family for the time being. Um, but it's been great. It's, it's fun. There's my grandfather's leather helmet right over there behind (laughs) me, which is kind of cool and all my Chicago sports memorabilia. So, um, yeah, it's been great. I, I really have enjoyed being back here and getting a chance to cover, you know, a team that, is always relevant in some way, regardless of what the win loss column looks like at the end of the year. And I feel like there's a lot of intrigue around this group because of how many unknowns there still are. And I think that the team started to take the steps to answer some of those unknowns through the draft and coming away with 11 picks after starting with five, I believe it was at the time that Ryan Poles took over. And then he, you know, has the trade, right away after the combine to move Khalil Mack to get that six pick. So effectively flipping six into 11 is a very, very strong move for a first time general manager because they had so many spots to fill out on this roster. And it's a process. You still have to get to 90 and they still have a long way to go to get there, which just shows you just like the magnitude of this rebuild that that they're currently going through.
2: Yeah. So you, you had a really cool uh, article on ESPN the other day, basically talking about the polls and, and his first draft. What were the interesting uh, you know, points that you made in that article for the people that haven't read it yet?
3: Yeah, I think for, for Ryan Poles in the situation that he's in right now, like he, keep, he talked a lot about like the hand that they were dealt. Right. So it was, it was circumstances that weren't exactly ideal in the way that he had to take over this team and they had to start over from scratch. I think the the thing that you have to realize is when you look at how many players are left from 2018, like the roster got annihilated and it had to, because that's what you, that's what you do in an effective rebuild. You don't do the one foot in one foot out approach. Um, so the way that polls has approached this draft, I know there are people who are not thrilled with the, lack of weapons around Justin Fields and that some things weren't addressed until maybe later than they would have liked. And when you look at the depth chart right now, just wondering what, what does this look like for day one? I think it's still too early to tell, but you know, my biggest takeaways were like what Neil had said. This, the secondary was a mess after <laughs> it was a mess last season. Like the fact is they gave up 31 passing touchdowns and a cornerback was the nearest defender on 27 of those. That's awful. Um, so, getting kyler gordon who was you know underdrafted because he was supposed to be gone if you look at warren sharp's draft like chart that he does for every round that's you know that that's a big thing and like you know for them to get him a couple spots ahead of where they expect um sorry my internet cut out there for a second i hope you can still hear me um But, you know, to get him a couple spots ahead of where they thought he was going to be and, you know, to get Jaquan Brisker as well, I think that that was a smart move for this team. And I I think that you could have gone so many different directions with the first the first day for chicago which was in day two um but doubling down on defense like you know, i asked ryan polst was that a scenario that you guys ran through and did that come up before and he said that there are a few instances of it but he was shocked when kyler gordon was available i think that the thing that was interesting to me is that they ran through this scenario there's a couple times that gordon kept popping up and he literally told his scouts Ignore it. Like that's, that's just not, it's, it's an outlier. Something's wrong with the system. It's not going to be like that on draft day. So when it was, that's a huge win because this is someone who started opposite Trent McDuffie this past season. We knew about McDuffie potentially being a day one pick, which he was. Um, We didn't know that much about Kyler Gordon. It was high athleticism, high ceiling, but you know, very unfinished product. And he proved himself this year. Like he was an absolute like monster during during the 2021 season and to be drafted where he was to, you know, potentially, you know, the value you get there, this is somebody who can You always hear this, you know, where can you play Are you more comfortable in the slot, Are you more comfortable outside playing in the slots really, really hard. And um, I think when you have a rookie who could potentially who could actually live up to doing that because it's you're directing traffic and you're moving, you're weaving in and out of the defense, it's so it's such a hard position to play. But well, you got value for somebody at 39 who could be opposite Jalen Johnson uh, outside, or you have somebody at nickel, which is great. Like, I think that that's a really strong pick for the Bears that they came away with that.
1: Courtney, for me, what, what I found about Ryan Poles, especially after running his first draft, was was a breath of fresh air. Because I mean, with with Ryan Pace here, it, it was just the it was pull, like pulling the teeth trying to get any sort of information out of him. So I, I think, and I'm just curious, uh, having covered the league for for so many years, you know, how was the, the Ryan Poles, you know, after the draft experience? I found it refreshing. I thought he gave us a lot of good material about some of these players. I love the fact that he brought our scouts out and talked to the media and kind of gave you guys an in-depth look in terms of why they like these players so is that something that you've you've come across in the league before with scouts coming out after the after each pick and what are your thoughts and polls in terms of his openness and candidness after the after the draft
3: it was refreshing I mean when I was in Minnesota during the draft you typically like it's the general manager every day and you know again I was used to a general manager who loved the idea of sixth and seventh round picks because you're not outbidding teams for college free agents, which happens. Um, but and I thought that was kind of interesting that that was Poll's approach here because Polls is a college scouting guy through and through. He's a director. He's the EVP EVP of player personnel, so he's over both. But he like the guys who have the college ties the longest. Like those are the people who want to build through the draft and quick little aside here i sat in on like you guys i assume you guys know what the nun wooten scholarship is um for scouting in in the nfl where they take on people who want like these like you know uh immersion type programs during summer like you can embed with teams during camp and he spoke in july for this group of, of scouts that were part of that these like young, young people in their early twenties, you know, getting into this, whether they're former players or just getting into scouting. And I had a chance to sit in on that. And what he was saying then when he was still with Kansas city as the EVP of player personnel about if I'm ever a GM, I'm going to build through the, like my goal is to build through the draft. You know, he said that long before he was having to kind of like speak publicly in front of people to like put forth his plan. So I thought that was really unique and interesting that he like has stayed pretty steadfast on that and what he wants to do. But as far as getting to like, I mean, you, typically what happens is because there are so many draft picks, you'll tip it. You'll, you'll usually get the GM every day, and you'll maybe get the college scouting director, depending upon what team you cover. To have the area scouts, to me, that was the biggest thing that was like eye opening for me in a way. But like it's just refreshing because these people are on the road for 200 plus days a year in their respective territories, which is different for every team. Like like somebody may be a Southwest scout, but like every team is going to like map their area differently. So I found it great that, you know, these guys write for like, you know, reports of like 400 players, and you might get one player that's drafted. Right. So they were so passionate about it. They were so, and I think that that was just like, such a great thing to have because that's a resource we typically are never afforded because scouts usually are kept behind closed doors but I really enjoyed it I was very pleased with that
1: yeah, personally, me, you know, having d- done some, you know, not professional scouting, but done some scouting here for the barroom, I just the fact that he had his scouts come up and and put red stars by the guys they wanted in day three, and he went out and he actually executed and got some of those guys. I think that really made those scouts, you know, give him some appreciation there in terms of hey, this is what you guys pounded the table, you know, quote unquote for this player. We're gonna go ahead and get him. So, you know, speaking of of the the weapons you mentioned earlier, not getting enough weapons for Justin Fields, I was one of the guys uh, initially after that that second round. I was like. What are we doing? You know, we, we, got, we got a young quarterback. We, we got to build it around this quarterback, give him some weapons. So, I, like I t- said earlier in the beginning of the show, I kind of took a step back and, and looked at, at the overall class. And, and I, I think, like I said earlier, I think he got like four, you know, potential four to five starters out of this class. And that, that's every time you get four or five starters out of, out of a group of 11 players, I think that's a, it's a pretty damn good class. So, uh, but, but the receiver position is still very thin, in my opinion. Do you think – and I know polls did say that this is going to go up until final cutdown. Until they set that final 53-man roster. So, do you, do you think that they're going to start to go out there and look for possible trades for veterans? Uh, free agent, I mean, the free agent list really isn't too enticing. How, how do you think they're going to address mm-hmm. the receiver position?
3: I mean, he left the door open to signing a veteran receiver, and that didn't mean um, it doesn't just mean like claiming guys off of waivers or you know. I, I tend to think that that means maybe a little bit of a higher caliber veteran that's out there. And that's not necessarily saying a Jarvis Landry or a Will Fuller. I mean, maybe. Like there's there's question marks with a lot of the guys that are still that are still unsigned. I mean, there is a reason Odo Beckham Jr. hasn't, you know, gone anywhere or done anything yet because he's still recovering from injury. Will Fuller is injured a lot. He's great when he's available for you, but um those are the types of things that i think they're keeping their eye on and and he left i mean chris emma who's going to be on the show here in a little bit that was a question that he asked and polls said that you know if that's the route that they go then that's what they'll do but you know i i did you know if i if i'm looking at it through like the entire picture here 11 draft picks not probably the best feeling for your offensive players and for your quarterback to only come away with one one, one true receiver and polls told us that like he had sat down with Justin, he explained the plan to him. Uh, They watched some Bayless Jones tape, not this past weekend, but the weekend before. And he had an idea like, I mean, that was clearly a target and, you know, the offensive production. I think that's the one thing that we're going to like be able to judge this on. There were other receivers. They passed over George Pickens twice. Um, There were other receivers available at 71 that they could have drafted who would have had the more like more proven offensive numbers from college because I mean Velas Jones was in college for six years he didn't stick on the depth chart at USC so he transferred used the COVID year to his advantage he's a 25 year old rookie and none of that's necessarily a knock but like you know the guy just started coming on as an offensive player as a receiver in you know the 2021 season now his yards after the catch that's where he shines he's Mm -hmm. averaging over eight yards after you know eight yards after the catch and that's great because he can break tackles you can you you know they're they're tantalized by speed clearly because he has four three one speed and that's great so you can put him a lot of places and the return ability is huge with him too it's like you always want more of those types of guys but i just Think that that position is still incomplete. Where you know if it's if it's Mooney, if it's Pringle, and then Velas Jones, you probably want to you for your own comfort level. Um, assuming that Cole Komet isn't going to like be developing into Travis Kelsey this year, he might be a very good tight end and he's still going to get like, I think he's going to get a lot of red zone targets because Jimmy Graham's gone, but you still need another receiver. Um, and and just being able to bolster the pass catching corpse, if you want to call it that between, you know, whatever, um, however that mix ends up becoming.
2: Yeah. I mean, you know, in, in terms of Valus, you know, the thing about him is, is that he's been a late bloomer for life you know, just, just, just as an aside, not, not as a, as a, as a question of Courtney just like, you know, speaking freely on Velas, he's, he's been a late bloomer for life. I remember watching this kid in high school. He was a marginal prospect as a junior. He came on as a senior really, and uh, started, you know, garnering all these offers and really a lot of them came late as well. And so like, this this is sort of like, like, like a trend for Velas is that, you know, he came on late in high school. He came on late in his college career. And now, you know, we're going to see what he can do with the bears. Um, you know, he's he's going to have, you know, kind of four years to prove himself. Um, The one thing that we do like about him is that, number one, he's got the lead speed. Uh, mm-hmm. He's Uh He's got, you know, pretty solid hands. He's a rack monster, right? Yards after the catch, receiving after the catch, running after the catch, I should say. He transitions from wide receiver to running back flawlessly. And so those, those are the things that, that that you like about him in, in that sense is that, you know, as an offensive weapon, he is what Ryan Poles wanted. They came in with a plan for him. They sat down with. Uh, you know the quarterback, and they outlined a few guys that he would want to play with. Justin Fields said, yeah, this is a guy that I would like to play with. And so, you know, th- th- this is a group effort here. This isn't just polls. This isn't just Eberflus. This isn't just Fields. This is a group effort here on this kind of mm-hmm. stuff. I'd hate to use the word collaboration because I know that's kind of like a four-letter word for all of us here in Chicago right now. But it has been a sort of a collaborative effort to try and get, uh, you know, someone like Bill Jones here. Not necessarily that he was in, he was like the target, but someone like him and in, in terms of position specific versatility, um, going, going a little bit, you know, before the draft, you know, Danny and I were talking the past couple of weeks on the, on the previous shows about the pre-draft mini camp and how that's such a blessing for the staff. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it's kind of written into the, into, into the, uh, the, the circumstance of having a new coach where you get all this time before the draft to evaluate your roster, go through some practices, uh, get these guys in, in the weight room, allow the, the players to get with the coaches to, you know, Become familiar, learn the offense, learn the defense, get familiar with the schemes, and uh, you know, basically, you know, gel a little bit together as a team. Um, you were around for all this stuff, the stuff: yeah. the the pre uh, practice press conferences, the post practice press conferences, during practice themselves. What stood out to you? <clears throat> Excuse me. What what stood out to you as uh, you know the the, the pre draft mini camp went on?
3: I Man, it was a, such a thin roster. I think at that point there were. Because before they signed the three tryout guys, um, they were, you know, like 61 players, like it, it's a, it was a skeleton crew. And that's what you expect for a team that has so many needs and a lot of talent deficiencies across the board. This is their learning phase. And I know that that's kind of like the boring cliche thing, but this is literally what the spring is for. Like you don't know what your roster looks like at this time. And of course, that third day where Fields had a pretty up and down day, he threw an interception um, like, you know, just the, the, the timing with some of the receivers just wasn't great. It's a new offense. He's, you know, 23 years old. He he's learning, he's learning a different scheme here than what they ran last year. Cause it's an actual scheme. I mean, what green Bay did. Um, I think is what you can expect the Bears to to you know incorporate a lot of those philosophies so what I came away with is realizing a the offensive line depth is I still think a pretty big glaring issue like you know the, the switch of Borum and, and Jenkins let's see if that sticks it could just be a pre you know pre-training camp thing where they're testing them out maybe they f- go back to the positions they were at last year maybe you know the reason that they 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 flip-flop this year is because that's where they played in college and polls wanted to test that out. He's a former offensive lineman himself. It makes sense. But um, I'd say outside of that, I just think that it was such an the early phase, like seeing who was there, who wasn't there. And, you know, in hearing some of the comments too, about, you know, what Roquan Smith has planned for the next couple months. And, you know, is he going to get a contract extension? Eddie Jackson in the clean slate approach that the Bears are taking with him and David Montgomery, like, you know, does this guy actually have a consistent role here? Because I think that I mean, when we talk about fantasy football, because, I, you know, it's kind of a, the thing we look at now is like, the who's going to be the fantasy sleeper, um, you know, from the Bears this year. And I feel like David Montgomery, you know, there's no question he should be the three down back on this team. And there's no question that like, you know, the fullback addition to this offense should help the running game. All of that should help the quarterback because no matter what they put around Justin Fields, if you have a strong run game, that can be like the biggest blessing you give a young quarterback, any quarterback, anybody who's like not a scheme, transcendent quarterback, like they need a strong run game because the defense is going to tee off on you every single time. If they know that you're dropping back to pass, put Fields in a better position by, making sure that the run game is a focal point and you have some balance through that. Like, those are just like a couple of things I took away because they're not in pads. They're in shorts. You can't, I mean, no one looks bad at this time of year. They might like off at the, you know, but the no. but you can't really like, truly like walk away with a grade on, you know, how anybody looked, you know, in late April.
1: Right. We kind of touched on the you can kind of touch on there on, on the, the purging of the roster, if you will. And, and obviously, after the draft, they, they let go of uh Nick Foles. So, are there any veterans left that they could possibly release after that in the coming months or, or weeks? You think
3: not in the coming weeks? I wouldn't think. Um. The only player, and there's some speculation about this in the pre draft process, and even like leading into last week, is Robert Quinn. I think the ideal scenario, depending upon what happens with this team this year, I mean, I think that if we look through it like realistically, um, you know, realizing they're going to be some Super Bowl ready teams that might think, they need to go the Rams route and, you know, halfway through the season, sign their version of Von Miller, find a pass rusher, you know, add a veteran wide receiver. And if that ends up being if Robert Quinn has a good year, like up until the trade deadline, he might be a prime candidate to move and to get, you know, some pretty decent trade trade value capital, like a, some draft capital in the trade process. So we'll see. I don't think anything will happen right now, but um, that would be. Like the name that I would throw out there. I don't think there's anybody else truly that would carry any sort of value right now. And plus you need players. Like mm-hmm. I understand the idea of a rebuild and tearing things down to the studs. You still need to feel the team that you know is capable of, of of playing against other NFL teams and other NFL talent. Like who's gonna rush the passer if he's not here? Right. So right. I think mean, it's a big thing.
1: See and then the you know, let me see if he's if kind of are on the same wavelength here with me because I'm thinking what he's doing here, or at least polls and Eberflows are doing here, is they're coming in, they're trying to set their culture up the first year. Yeah, they might take their bumps here and there, but I think they're setting themselves up for next offseason in terms of they're going to have all this dead cap money coming off the books. They're going to have a full boat in terms of draft capital. Uh, I, th- I think that's what they're doing. My only concern is, is you have a young franchise potential franchise quarterback here that you have to develop so mm-hmm. how do you how do you how i don't know if if you have any idea or, or what they're going t- to do and to kind of balance that right to kind of yeah. you know set up yourself for next off season but yet also not get your franchise quarterback's confidence you know killed here in, in the process
3: it's such a, it's such a hard it's like a conundrum that they face because you know in, in focusing on defense first which they they needed to like you could kind of take your pick because there were so many needs and that's the tough thing of like staying true to your draft board, but also realizing, you know, Justin Fields could be the most important draft pick this franchise has had in 50 years. And you don't want to mess that up. Um, and if you get the, if you kill this guy's confidence in year two, you, you might ruin his career. So like the hard thing I think this year in knowing that the talent around Fields, especially along the offensive line, and, you know, I feel that like they have some good receivers. Like, is it great, great quality? Like, do you have somebody that you know is going to be an absolute star outside of Mooney? And even then, I mean, the guy just put, to get, he's, you know, a young player. He just put together one 1,000-yard season, like give it some time. There's going to be things that Fields has to work on this offseason to improve in spite of what's happening around him. And I think you can go back to what happened at Ohio State Like, why was he so prolific? Because he's got guys like Chris Olave and these receivers who just like burn past corners and are always open. He had the best, like one of the best offensive lines in college in front of him. So, of course, he looked awesome. When reality hits hits, and you go to the NFL, like and everything's not perfect, you have to improve in spite of what's around of you. So I think a lot of that's going to be the confidence factor of you know, the theory that like, or the, the saying that covered in college football is open in the NFL. You got to learn how to throw your receivers open. And we've seen, he did the throwing sessions with Komet. He did it with Mooney. More of that is going to only help his case because the pass protection, and you cannot blame all the sacks on the offensive line last year. He holds to the ball too long. And he knows that um, like there's things he can do this year to get better in spite of what's going on around him. But I also think that doing that without the pressure of winning games is the only way he can see can succeed. He can't go into this thinking I got to win a ton of games because it's just not realistic. You can't it's, it's, it's He's not in the position to do that. So I think that there are technique things that he can work on this year that will be sustainable with, with or without improvement of your personnel around him.
1: So, and speaking of, of of the quarterback and Justin Fields and, and Ryan Poles, there's these reports or or you know articles that come out that they're, they're just questioning whether Poles is committed to Justin Fields. I know he didn't draft him, but I I think that I think he's committed to to this kid and I think he's going to try and build this team around him. Uh is is that the, the kind of you know uh, feeling you get as well? Or, or what do you how do you read the story? Yeah, the I've seen
3: I've seen some of it. I think a lot of that is people looking at the roster and looking at like the depth chart and realizing that there's just not a ton of talent around Justin Fields I don't know if it means he's gonna if that I don't I don't believe that that's him hanging Fields out to dry like yeah is it is it the best situation that he's in right now no but if you take Ryan Poles at his word and he's been he's done everything that You know, this could all change. Like everybody has patience right now because it's May and patience has been like the buzzword that has been preached a lot. Let's see what happens if the team starts losing a lot of games. Patience is going to still be something that they're preaching is, you know, we're, we're trying to get, um, you know, I think the thing that you look at here is like, when does, when is there a a switch that gets flipped there and people start wanting to make knee jerk reaction, knee jerk moves? You hope not, but far as fields goes and the speculation that they don't they're not sold on him how can you not be sold on him yet because in a lot of ways this is his rookie year the same I personally think the same thing you're giving like the same thing you're affording Trevor Lawrence granted that was a far more toxic situation because of the head coaching situation in um, Jacksonville we're all saying that 2022 is Trevor Lawrence's rookie year I think Justin Fields deserves probably some of that same same freedom to have ch- a chance to start over here in an offense that, you know, is predicated off play action, bootlegs, things that like, legitimately help the quarterback. And you're not just like teeing off on somebody who's in the shotgun for 60 percent of plays. That's stupid. Um, so I, I, I do think that there's ways for them to better support him and there's still time there's street free agents so there's going to be a bunch of post june 1 cuts like be, you can expect the team to be active at some point too with that but it's not done yet like the roster's not finalized on may 5th and fortunately that like they're not playing games till september so there is time for them to improve and you just you kind of hope that they do add a couple more things cuz if you look at their like offensive line right now and with no disrespect like i covered Dakota Dozier in Minnesota um, I don't think that should be your starting right guard this year. I think that you are not in a good spot if if he ends up being and he's slated right now to be your starting right guard. He was a practice squad guy last year, and the year that he did start was out of necessity and he really struggled. So there's a couple positions that like immediately jump out to me as glaring needs around fields, but I think you also have to like not panic and realize what time of year this is and, and the moves that they can make going forward.
4: You know,
2: that that was something that I I really was big on in in terms of fields in, in in that he's in a new offense he's with a new staff everything is like brand fresh and new and I, I feel mm-hmm. like there's way too many people that are already you know writing the ticket on him in terms of if he doesn't do well this year then let, let's cut the strings you know this is essentially he's his rookie he's year not, all over
3: again up to even like you won't know what you truly have until after two thousand twenty three. Right.
2: One hundred percent. And because of this roster is so rough around the edges. And that's something that we talked about in January in our first show. I try to temper all of all of all of all of our fans, all of our listeners, all of our watchers. Like, listen, like this roster upcoming is going to be rough around the edges. We don't have resources in terms of draft capital. We don't have the money to go out and pay guys. You know, we have a bunch of aging veterans. Right. And we just cut one of them Ryan Poles, which is going to be a you know cap hit. You know, it, you know, p- p- you, know uh, you know. I understand that you know, fan stands for fanatic, but I think a lot of times our fan base is just a little bit too fanatic. We just got to bring it back down a little bit, you know. Just like bring, bring, it, bring it from boiling point to like you know, sort of like your know, simmer. You know what I mean? Like, you know, those, those are the things that kind of like you know, drive me crazy every now and again. But um, you know, to sort of like wrap things up. Number one, I do love the uh, the nostalgic Madden yeah. NBA Live '96 kicking on the back edge of of the uh, cabinet over there that is phenomenal two of my favorite games when i was a kid um uh, oh, okay. b- b- before we let you go um for people that don't know you did this amazing sort of like day in the life thing with a really high high pro- uh, profile basketball group named malik newman which i thought was phenomenal when we were both in mississippi mm-hmm. any plans for doing anything like that with anybody in the chicago bears or oh, you know that'd be great
3: That would be a really cool thing. I mean, I think the thing with beyond the game um, and, you know, just a quick recap of what that was Their Number one player in the class of 2015 just happened to be like in our backyard when I was working in Jackson, Mississippi, and his family uh, signed off on me kind of doing this all access. This is when I was like a video journalist, Um, this all access three-year documentary and it was the access is unprecedented when you have like unfettered um, ability to get to these people and to like, you know, have cameras around. And it was just me. It was, it was a, you know, I don't know if I could ever do that same sort of scale on a profession, like with like, covering a professional team, just because these guys are so insulated there's PR teams um, there's everything around them. But I, I would love, I would love someday to be able to do another big thing like that because that was like an all encompassing all-consuming three-year project for me, and I really enjoyed that.
0: Awesome. Courtney, you've been great. Uh, Before I let you go, tell us uh, what you're working on right now and where can people follow you and follow your work?
3: Yeah, I've been really busy with radio lately. Um, You can hear me locally on ESPN 1000 and uh, have a ton of shows coming up on ESPN radio nationally. So wherever if the affiliate picks it up here. If if others do, you can listen to it on SiriusXM XM channel 80 and the ESPN app. So doing a lot of that, working on um, you know, some rookie profiles and, you know, just trying to get settled on the beat and looking forward to we get a chance on Friday to it's just literally tomorrow, um, to go see these rookies in action for the first time and talk to them in person for the first time. So it should be good.
0: And I'll give you an opportunity to do some trash talking with uh, one of your competitors here, Chris Emma.
3: <laughs> this is trash talking. Chris is the best. Chris welcomed me to the beat right away. So I have nothing but good things to say except his backdrop might not be as as cool as mine.
1: Yeah, I, 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 <laughs> do I do have been
5: lacking for sure. Like when twenty twenty <laughs> hit and we all shifted to Zoom, like I felt like I really should have invested in like a good bookshelf for like maybe a couple books, and uh, but I need a lot more. I was, I was checking that out. I want the uh, the foul ball alert from Wrigley. I like that. Um, there's a lot going on there. I've been I'm I'm definitely lacking.
3: It's uh, my Cal Ripken thing is whatever direction that is. That's right here. When he got what was it the streak of consecutive games? Um, this is my trophy from AYSO soccer from 1995. Oh, wow. If you want this, Chris, you can have it. <laughs> <laughs> There's a, up, there's a Northwestern football for our good friend, Kevin Fishbane. If he wants this, so <laughs> I'm going to start like pawning all this stuff off. I don't want to end sports... up in the
5: trophy collection, but I got my uh, 2008 men's league church league softball championship trophy. Oh. I didn't want to give it to the church, but like they gave it to me. Nobody asked for it. So I still have it. So uh... we, we,
1: we got to see it. We'll see which, whose is bigger. Let's go get, there. Go get the trophy. <laughs> uh,
5: <Okay>.
0: <laughs> <laughs>
1: this is awesome. <laughs> Uh, oh. oh, that's insane. Oh, wow. that's, that's insane. No, no wonder he ran so quickly to go get it because he knew it was so much bigger. <laughs> I, I have <laughs> <year for> it
5: <stories.
4: laughs> <laughs> just in, church, in case church. he needed to show
2: it off in front of the
5: camera. <laughs> <laughs> I was probably supposed to give it to the church. Sorry, St. Peter's in Geneva. But
1: <laughs> because,
5: was that, the same, yeah. uh,
1: that was the same trophy that uh, Daniel Larusso got in the Karate Kid when he won that tournament. That's <laughs> right. <laughs> it, it is. Uh, Courtney and, and Chris
0: are much too young to remember that movie. <laughs> oh, hell.
4: <laughs> sorry.
0: Uh, Courtney, thank you very much. Uh, this is your first appearance in the barroom, and we hope uh, to have you back again uh, yeah. during
3: the football thank season. Thank you guys for having thank me. I appreciate it. We appreciate, have it you.
0: Night. Right, boy, I appreciate you. All right, Chris Emma is now with us from 670 to score, the lead uh, Bears coverage uh, reporter, uh, print reporter. Print? Do we call it print anymore? No. Uh, website report. I guess. <laughs> Uh, Chris, great work as always. Uh, in fact, uh, 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 Courtney had mentioned that one of the questions that you asked at the press conference. Uh, and uh, so we know that you're always at the press conferences. You're always uh, trying to get into locker rooms to get breaking news. You could always be found on 670 to score with your reports. Really appreciate your coverage.
5: Well, thanks for having me, guys. i the always love doing the show. And, uh, you know, it, it's May and it still just feels like football, man. Fresh off the draft. A lot of storylines out there. Uh, rookie minicamp beginning tomorrow up at Hallis Hall. So there's a lot to be excited about.
1: Schedule release next week.
5: Schedule <laughs> release. I, I saw the list of channels that's on. It's like, it's incredible. It looks <laughs> like the, it looks like an NFL schedule. Like it's like 10 channels or something. Yeah, it's going uh, yeah. to be wild. It's going to be wild you trying to find the games. They, yeah, I mean they, they build it up for weeks and weeks. They can announce it at any time. And here it is prime time event on every network. So that's the NFL. <laughs> NFL
2: Network had this big thing. I think it was yesterday releasing the the dates and teams involved in the the uh, the international games in Mexico City yeah. and Berlin right. and the 3 in London. It's crazy, man. It is and NFL has has taken over sports for 11 months of the year. July is the only time when we when we really don't have coverage.
5: People ask me all the time what do you do in the offseason? season? I'm like the off season's busier than the actual like one off season. Time. Yep. Exactly. exactly. Like it's just that's exactly. the way it goes.
0: You'll know, get so, a couple of weeks in June, I guess, or early July. Right. <laughs> okay.
1: So, with the obviously the draft being done now, Chris, uh, your overall impression on Ryan Poles and in, in, in his first draft class? I, I think he, I I was impressed with the way he went ahead and, and and turned, you know, the the six picks into eleven uh, by, by the end of the day on the end of the three days. So, uh, just just your overall impression, uh, and and how do you think Poles did in his first draft?
5: I think he did what he needed to do and what the bears needed him to do, which is what you're saying is trading down and adding as many swings as they could of potential talents. like, I mean, it's an 11 man class. If I don't know, whatever numbers you want to put on it, stick. If, If X amount of those players become good to great players, that's a huge win. If half of that class, whatever becomes productive players in the NFL, that's a win in its own right. Like that's the idea was he knew this team. When he came in, he knew this roster was, like, missing talent. Like, he you could see. Not just, like, the top end, like, all pro-type players at the top. That like, not enough of those guys. But down at the bottom of the roster, just not enough NFL-caliber players. Like, he wanted every crack he could to bring in uh talent and get his own guys into the building. And that's what he did with this draft. I, I thought he had a very productive draft. Uh, I, I thought that they'd be trading now, and I'm not surprised at all with the way it went. I, I said probably 9 to 10. They, they even topped that. Look, um, I, I think it was a very successful draft in terms of both building, uh, you know, finding building blocks for the future. Those two guys in the second round, in particular, but also a lot of guys you can see that upside on, and, and you hope you get some hits on those.
1: So when the Brisker pick was made, um, I, I was surprised not because of the player, I just because of the positional value I, that I personally have on at the, at the safety position. But just that's neither here or there. My my question to to you, something that we kind of discussed here on on our draft show was. Was this a, you know, a, a shot at Eddie Jackson? Was this a, a saying, hey, you know, j- just so you know, we're not going to put up with the, the lack of days to go play or what we've been seeing the last couple of you know, seasons on the field. Could could Brisker, the selection of Brisker, be something where it lights a fire on Eddie Jackson? I don't think it was deliberately a shot, but if it has that effect, that's a huge win,
5: right? I mean, that, that's what you wanted that was like. You want Absolutely. that all around the league and the draft is guys, young players replacing veteran players. Like you want that kind of pressure involved. Uh, I think more so was supposed to be a tandem. I, I think they liked like the idea of brisker kind of being more, I don't want to make the easy Penn state comparison, but what Adrian Amos was alongside Eddie Jackson, like they were a pretty solid tandem together for uh, the early part of Jackson's career. And then finally they kind of filled that spot. Like, Tashawn Gibson was a very good player for the last couple of years, but he was a placeholder. Like They were looking for that long-term fit, uh, and there was clearly a void at safety before they brought in Brisker. Um, the, the scouts have raved about him. The Bears have raved about this kid, about the, the versatility and what he brings uh, both against the pass and then against the run. He seems like a really versatile, dynamic fit. You see those ball skills there uh, on the screen. Here. I mean, this is a guy who can make plays in the secondary and add to what they want to do. And the last thing I'll say about it is that w- we know what Matt Eberflus wants to build for this defense and the ability to take the football away. Every pick, every one of these guys, Donald just the, has the talent and, and the kind of uh, skill set that you want to bring into the NFL, but they have, they check the boxes of culture fits. Like Those are the first picks for Ryan Poles and Matt Eberflus. They got to know those, those guys. They believe in the culture and that the, and what they can bring for that culture and the kind of fits they can bring to that locker room.
1: But obviously, you know, and, and I agree, I think those two guys are, are going to be day one starters. The the other thing is is the receiver position, though. I, I think it's still lacking. I, I touched on this a little bit with Courtney in terms of, and I know polls stressed after the, the draft that they're going to be, you know, looking at the, you know, at, at all ends, right? Trades, free, veteran free agents, you know, guys that get cut even to, you know, to the final cut down right before the season starts. So uh, your, your opinion, do you, do you think they'll bring in at least one or two more veteran free agents probably in the receivers?
5: I do. I mean, they, first of all, obviously you got to start with Mooney. They believe in Mooney wholeheartedly. I mean, Ryan Pulse has raved about Darnell Mooney. Like taking every chance he can to rave about him. They've been really impressed. Like that's your number one right now. I know he probably doesn't stand out as, you know, that true clear cut number one, but this is a guy you keep betting on to get better. You know, fifth round pick a couple years ago, uh, 80 catches this past season. Like he made that kind of jump you want in year two. And I think there's more in store um you look at Pringle I think a lot of people are kind of under uh, underestimating what Pringle can bring to this receiving group like he's got the ability to take the top off of defense uh he can help provide what Justin Fields has been missing in terms of that explosive play uh and that dynamic threat down the field that you know Allen Robinson was a really good receiver but he wasn't that guy to take the top off of defense and um, the bears believe Pringle can do that. They believe St. Brown can do that as well. If one of those two guys, Pringle or St. Brown is able to fit beyond just this season, like if he earns a second contract, that's a big win. Like you'll take that. And, and that, I'm using the same kind of expressions, but you take that all around the depth chart. There's so many of these guys on one year deals trying to prove something that Ryan Poles is hoping that you can get something more out of and sign them this offseason to a two or three year deal. Uh, so at that receiver position, I don't think it's a finished product. Like I, I think you feel really good about what Moody brings, uh, the potential of those two wild cards we just mentioned. But I, I keep an eye on the potential of adding a veteran off the streets and, and somebody who can add to that group, just a stability factor, like having that for a bunch of young receivers and having that for a young quarterback, that matters. That's important.
2: Hey, Chris, uh, welcome back to the show, man. You know We, we had you on for a while last year. You know, I, I appreciate any time you can go ahead and you know, chop it up with us just a little bit. Um, speaking of last year, I'm interested to know, since you were, you know, around this previous coaching staff and now you're around this new coaching staff, you're in the room with them, the media room. What is the biggest differences that you're seeing just from the, the interactions that you've had with these guys versus the, the, the previous group that, that was here that that was let go?
5: Yeah, that's a really good question. Um Uh, I really, I enjoyed working around Nagy. I I know fans soured on him and the whole thing fell apart on them quickly, but I thought he was a good guy. I I enjoyed working around him. I've enjoyed Iberflus a lot just personally, you know, getting to know him a little bit and uh, I get to spend some time with him at Wrigley field a couple weeks ago when the whole staff was out there. Just a terrific dude. Like uh, I I've been, I've just been impressed by him. I I think he's really kind of got the convictions of what he wants to do and, and bring to that building. And, and, I always roll my eyes around it. And Neil, you know, you've been around like college ball. Like it, 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 a lot of the stuff you take about building a culture, like doesn't often work in the NFL. Like it, it sounds great when you say it. And then you got to bring it to guys who are professionals ma- and making multi-millions of dollars. Like it's tough to sell them on, on this and that. I think he's got the, exactly what it takes to build that kind of culture. And it helps to have a young roster of guys who are really trying to get established and, you know, a lot of individuals on that 90-man roster, however many it is on that roster right now, who have something to prove, Uh, that's how you get a good collective. It's when you got everybody kind of fighting both for their own motives, but then collectively with a team. Uh, I think Iber has a, a lot to offer in terms of what he can bring to building – uh, the right foundation for, you know, if you want to use the, the Cubs expression, the next great Bears team, like if they do build that thing up and, and they do have the kind of success in the next few years, it's going to be because of 2022 and the foundation they set with Iberflue. So uh, I, I'm excited to see what he does schematically, uh, how he fits guys uh, from his side of the ball on defense, and then obviously what the kind of trust he puts in Luke Getz to develop Justin Fields. But uh, I, I've been impressed just with every since uh has got in the building, just kind of the feelings that he's had. Uh, of what he wants to do and the convictions that he's worked with.
2: And I asked Corey the same question, but in, in terms of the pre-draft mini camp, we talked about how that is just absolutely crucial in terms of, you know, this staff, you know, be, you know, hands-on, evaluate what they have, plan a little bit better for, you know, the, the weekend upcoming. Um, you also spend a lot of time around the staff, around around this, uh, this personnel group, around uh, this locker room. You know, for a few days, for a couple of weeks, you know, leading up in a draft day. What were your takeaways? What, what, what was interesting to you? What stood out?
5: Uh, probably more what I was just saying in terms of the, the individual. So just uh, the idea, and it, a lot of you can just go on some of these uh, contract sites and just look at the contracts and understand what their motives are. But look, I, I liken it more to what they had in Indianapolis with that defense and that team as a whole, <laughs> the kind of culture they were able to build with the Colts. And I know they fell shy of the playoffs and it didn't go the way that they wanted, but that they had, you look in that roster, like Darius Leonard was a, a second round pick. Like he was not a guy who you projected all pro from uh, Kenny Board was a guy who's like the Patriots, like the new England Patriots, let this guy go. And, and here he is as, as, a pro bowl quarterback in Indianapolis. It's like it speaks to the culture of what uh, Matt Eberflus built, but also it speaks to the way that they're able to motivate and f- find the right players to build around. Uh, and you get the sense of that. You look at a guy, Nick Morrow is an example, like a linebacker they bring in, didn't play last season, dealt with injuries, and consistencies, but they see a fit uh, both in terms of scheme and then also personality. And, and I think you can look at just about every spot on both sides of the football really, and say, you can see why the bears were attracted to that kind of culture fit. Lucas Patrick's a guy that Ryan Poles has mentioned. Like that's a Ryan Poles guy. He's no nonsense. He's going to stand up for his quarterback. Uh, he's going to play to the proverbial echo of the whistle, like they've added a lot of guys uh, when you go through both free agency and the draft house, we start to get to know some of these rookies who they feel fit what they want to do.
1: And then Chris, having covered the previous regime uh and, and you knew how Brian Pace was, right? It was just just everything was just kind of like pulling teeth with him. The guy didn't want to really give you any information. I found it. And curious, you know, your, your thought here, refreshing, refreshing with the way Ryan Coles was after that draft and, you know, being yeah. candid about what he saw in a player, how he projects the player. And I like the fact that, uh, you know, and I don't think he did, this is what done in the past. I like the fact that he brought out these scouts to speak to you guys and give you guys some insight in terms of what they saw while they scouted these players and all that stuff. So curious your, your thoughts on that. Look, Ryan Pulse is a, a communications major at Boston College, and he sounds
5: like it. He's so dang sharp, like uh, just from like the, the way that he uh, is able to convey what he wants to do, the way that he is able to articulate a plan, uh, share personal stories. Like it reminds me of Theo Epstein a lot, like from when Theo came in with the Cubs uh, back in 2012, and he just had such a refreshing transparency of here's how we're going to do it, uh, and this is what we want to do. I just I really admire the way that Ryan pulls his approach to the job, both, you know, the front facing to the media, but also in terms of behind the scenes. Like he's working with a clean slate. He was able you know, he's hired with the Bears, really wanted to bring him in and offering him the chance to build this thing of his own. Like start fresh, you clean house, you can trade a superstar like Mac. uh, You can do whatever you need to do to to build this roster up the right way. You got all the time and and he's acted accordingly. He's not had any arrogance whatsoever. Uh, He's approached us the right way. Uh, he's just, he's a really good, genuine dude, too. He's really come across from the start. Like, take it back to that first press conference back in late January and, you know, he was tearing up thinking about some some of those uh, memories of being in Kansas City and working really closely with a lot of those guys and you know, he wants to build that with the Bears. Like, he's got his front office now. He's starting to fill that out a little bit more. He's got the people around him that he believes in and trusts and uh, I, I've just been, i really admired the way that he's approached this and uh, I think, frankly, too, if you're a fan, I think you want to hear from your GM. Like A lot of people, when pace one talks, say that's good, I don't care. Like, if you're a true fan and you care about your team, you want to hear the top football executive explain what he's doing. You don't want to see him hiding behind the door as his head coach is taking the blame. or You don't want to have your the top executive hiding because this is not an organization that's exactly mastered transparency and accountability, Like. And Matt Nagy was the one who was always standing before the organization the last four years, and uh, it'll probably be more influential able- 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 than anybody else because that's just the way the Bears have operated with this. But um, I-, I admire, from what we've been able to hear from polls and getting to know him a little bit, just the the person that's leading the Bears now.
1: Just just curious, real quick, uh, did he break some news by saying that there was a bedroom upstairs at at, at House Hall? Because I don't think we no one knew that. You know, I, I've been able to
5: do that tour.
1: I was not aware of
5: that. I, I guess it makes sense, right? I mean, those guys are working late <laughs> nights. It. Um, yeah, it's. <laughs> I guess that's good. It, it, <laughs> I, I like that one, though. I mean, look, that's a late night Friday night. They get their three draft picks. He's ready to burn the midnight oil and get ready for it that Saturday. So uh, I like that.
2: Hey, I got to be honest, guys. When, you know, I, I spent 15 years in college football, there, there were a couple places where I went ahead and fashioned myself uh, – a, a little, you know, lounge, you know, napping spot underneath, <laughs> underneath a couple desks, you know what I mean? Cause you know, burn that midnight oil. Sometimes you start, uh, you start dozing off. You want to go ahead and just like rest the eyes for about 10, 20, 30 minutes and, you know, wake back up, get right back to it. You know, I, I wouldn't be surprised if there was a bedroom upstairs, a house. I really wouldn't.
5: Yeah. He said, yeah, it's, it's a good room. He said it's comfortable. So uh, they got that going for them. I'm sure that was part of the renovation a couple years ago.
2: Yeah, but, you know, the the one thing you're talking about, the, the transparency of this new, you know, personnel department, you know, polls, really laying out the plan, what he wants to do, how he's going to do it. On draft day, he stayed true to what was in the best interest of the Bears, not what was in the best interest of the fans, which a lot of times, you know, these uh, these, these GMs are here to making the fans happy, trying to please everybody, ends up getting them fired. Um you know, think about it. Is I love how like we, we were talking about with this Courtney a little bit. I love how uh, you know Polls gave his his personnel staff essentially freedom of speech, gave them the First Amendment. You know, speak up. Uh, we're we're gonna put you know a red dot next to the guys that you like. We're yep. gonna send you down to the media guys to let them. And I, you, you posted a couple things. You know, during uh, you know the, the draft weekend, quotes from you know some of the of the uh, the area scouts or national scouts or whatever they were. About their their thoughts on the particular draft picks, which I thought was amazing, and I thought that in the previous years that was very muted. I tried to, I try to get a couple of guys like you know statements on the record. And they said, well, you know the the administration probably wouldn't be too too fond of of that you know particular idea. Um, I've always felt uh, the the personnel staff in Howell's Hall was was pretty solid. We've seen some moves shake up in the past few days, um, and and uh, you know a couple guys elevated to you know premier spots, you know basically uh, number three spots in the organization code number threes. I'm, I'm interested if, if, you know, you have your ear to the grindstone better, better than both of us on the show. Is there anything that you're hearing coming down the pipe in terms of the personnel staff that's going to be uh, changed, guys let go, guys being brought in? Anything that, that stands out to you?
5: I, I'm curious what's next for the sports science staff to answer that question. You know, Jen Gibson was somebody who's holdover over from the previous staff. <laughs> they brought in uh, a new boss over for her in, uh, in uh, Brent Salazar, who uh, really accomplished uh, a guy in that field and they get really reshaping that staff. So uh, I'm curious, Andre Tucker's another one that has been their athletic trainer for the last several years. Uh, that might be where you get your next changes, if at all, but they haven't done it yet. Uh, They got through the draft on that. So uh, we'll see if that staff has any changes or not. <clears throat> to your initial point, you I-, I completely agree. Like, And it comes back to the fact that Ryan Poles was a scout. Like he cut his teeth in that business he understands what those guys do, the work they all put in, because he was elevated throughout Kansas City's organization to being one of the top guys next to Brent Feach. And now he's the top guy in Chicago. Um, I like the fact that he put so much faith in those scouts where like, you know, he talked about it, like the days leading up to the draft, he set up anonymous polls. They're all on their cell phone and dialing in. Okay. I want you to list your top five, 10, whatever it is prospects at this position. And and they put it up. They, they ran the polls. It ran through the computers, went up to the screen. And he said the idea was to kind of form a consensus without groupthink, where it's not raise your hand and everybody's kind of looking around the room like yep. everybody's doing it anonymous, anonymously and combining their thoughts. And He put that kind of faith in his team. Uh, he talked about it day three when they got into that draft room. And he said, all right, guys, I want you to give me three players who you have a conviction on, three guys who you're going to be pounding the table for that we need to get. And, they all put their names down. They put stars next to their names. And that was a good majority, he said, of the players who were drafted on day three. He understands it. These guys work long hours. They traveled thousands and thousands of miles. Like the work that these scouts put in ahead of the draft Ryan pulls would feel like it's wrong or any other general manager really would, would be wrong to be jumping over their authority. of I watched the tape on this guy, I don't care what you guys saw, you know, over three or four games of watching the Joquan Brisker and seeing that as pro day. And every talk you've had with the scouts, like, I saw this, we're going to, I'm right. You're wrong. Like I like the fact that he put his faith in those scouts. And even a couple of scouts he knew weren't going to be coming back on that staff. He still put his faith in them. Like Chris Prescott was a guy who scouted Joquan Brisker I don't think Chris Prescott was coming back on that staff regardless of what he said afterwards. And I, I knew made headlines. But, like, uh, I like the fact that Ryan Poles knows his scouts. Uh, he trusts them. Even if he didn't want to keep them around Like and get his own guys in, he trusts them. Uh, he put that faith in them, and they
2: executed a the process accordingly. So what you're hearing is that what he said definitely didn't have anything to do with him being let go.
5: I'm not, I don't believe he was let go because of that. I think he was let, I mean, there were changes that were coming regardless. That was what I was hearing all along. Mark Sadowski was obviously the bigger name as the director of college scouting. And he'd been there since 2005. So he was let go, uh, there's still a chance for some more of these scouts to be let go. Um, it's only those two. And then Bobby Macedo, who was, um, scouting coordinator for a number of years, I believe since 2012. So, um, they had that kind of turn over there. There's always a chance for more. And, you know, this is the start of the new scouting cycle. So they'll start getting some new names in as well.
2: Yeah. So, it just does real quick. Dan, I'm sorry to interrupt you. Just to touching that real quick. Uh, Sadowski and Prescott were two guys that uh, every, every year that I was at Mississippi state, they both those guys came in and made pit stops, you know, down in, in, in our program. And, you know, just, and, and they're doing cross references, right? They're, they're all the are doing is doing cross references. The, the area guy down there was Breck Ackley. He's phenomenal. Uh, Chris Prescott came in. Uh, Mark Sadowski came in. Great human beings, did a phenomenal job scouting, asked all the right questions. That, like, I, I keep saying ad nauseum how great that scouting staff was over the course of the years that I've gotten to know all those guys. They did a phenomenal job doing the right evaluations and putting the right things down on paper, putting the right information in, in, into, the, uh, into the administration to be able to make the kind of decisions that we've seen over the past few years, getting the right guys in, into the building um and and that's that's why i think it's important that you know there's a little bit of continuity to where like you don't let too many people go but if you are going to make some changes you, you better make sure they're the right ones
5: yeah and if you have good scouts you keep them around like uh, jeff shiver's been on that staff for i don't even know how many years shiver's he's, amazing. he's awesome because everybody loves him every every general manager whether it's Polls or pace or emery or down the line to angelo and beyond like they love that guy. Like, they're, they they got some really good scouts in that building. You're exactly right. And even, the you know, Sadowski and and um, Prescott, the two guys that let go, like, those are good scouts. But Ryan mm-hmm. Poles wants to bring in his own guys. Like, you know, he, he ha- has a lot of faith in Jeff King, who he promoted to uh, co-number three and co-director of player personnel. Trey Kozio, I, I guess I'm not surprised that he brought him in when you think about the continuity that they have together, dating back to being teammates at Boston College. Like, <laughs> look, this is the way it should be. Surround yourself with people that you know and trust and you believe. It, it's not just to it. This is really important as a general manager. It's not just people yeah, that you trust, but it's also people who are going to tell you what you don't want to hear. Guys who are going to say, you're wrong about this player. Like, this evaluation is so far off. If you're really doing this right, and I believe Ryan polls is, you surround yourself with different thinking people, people you know and trust, but people who are always also going to trip back and you say, you're wrong on this or we need to do this better. Having those people in your ear is really important.
1: Yeah, just hitting back on to, onto the field, Chris. There are two veterans that I'm I'm kind of having my fingers crossed, and I'm hoping that the Bears some find some way to get these guys, you know, signed. And and obviously one of them is Larry Ogunjobi. I know, I know Ryan Poles didn't close the door in terms of maybe possibly bringing him back, re-signing him to maybe a you know a lesser term contract or maybe one year approved deal. I'm not sure how his camp feels, Ogunjobi. So you know, curious and, and you know. Do you think that something that could be rekindled again? And the other guys, for me, I I, I love the Braxton Jones kid uh, in terms of the the, the left tackle prospect. I'm going to break him down later on here in the show, but. I still feel like he's not ready to start, you know, week one. So the guy out there, a veteran out there, Dwayne Brown, is is there any possibility they can bring this kid, this Dwayne Brown in for at least a year or two years? Uh, Do you hear anything, rumblings about about those two players?
5: Yeah, I'll start with the second one. I'd I'd probably say no. I I think they really like the idea of developing, you know, these two tackles that they inherited in Borum and Jenkins. And also Braxton Jones. I I spoke with somebody who said there was a thought that the Bears are going to take him on day two. Like they they were really high in this kid you don't get a lot of meetings uh the Monday of the draft like a lot of like these last minute workouts where you're flying out to Salt Lake City and working this kid out and taking him out to dinner like they were really high on Braxton Jones uh they have I don't know what their grades were on him but it was well above the uh, round 5 like they feel like that's a steal they were excited to get this guy uh and now you're developing he's got flexibility potentially to play guard. they kind of alluded to that maybe he's your plug and play right guard because Really, they don't have anything else. I heard Courtney mention it, too. Like, Dakota Dozier, if that's your starting right guard, probably not great. Sam mustafer's gotten some reps there. Uh, really good dude, but I just don't know if he's got what it takes to to be a, a starting right guard. Um, so they're going to let this play out. M- maybe Jones, they project, just project as a tackle, and it's going to be boring and Jenkins kind of competing against each other, really. Like, uh, I don't think anything's truly said of that position. Uh, those two in particular Jenkins and Borum are two players that they inherited. Uh, I don't know what kind of scouting thoughts that uh, Poles and his staff had on them a year ago when they were with the chiefs, but uh, now they get to see them all in person. They get to see what Jenkins looks like healthy, what he can bring uh, knock on wood, if he's healthy and what he can do in front of them and being coached up by Chris Morgan and being fit into the system. And we'll see how it all plays out there. Um, and in terms of Larry Oak and Joby, I, I just don't see it. Like, that's a tough one to come back from. When I, I'd understand if there's uh animosity there on his side, and it's a business decision, it's really unfortunate. But like the Bears kept him off the market for four days basically because they had an agreement in place, and the Bears were absolutely right to back out of that deal. And I give Ryan Poles a lot of credit for doing that, like the fact that uh because you don't have the medicals before any time before them you knew he was hurt you knew what the injury was and what you were dealing with but i give him a lot of credit for not forcing that one and trying to avoid uh the blowback and then you're basically putting it off till august when he's on the pump list to start the season like uh i think that was a good move by poles uh and in terms of okanjobi i don't know if i'd want to come back to the bears after that i'd understand if there's bad blood
0: Chris was the delay in getting medical results was that the Bears problem was that an NFL issue I
5: was told there wasn't really it wasn't anybody's fault it was just one of those things that like you know if free agency is different from the draft where you got the you know the combine for the medicals and all kinds of different checks like that's the first chance to do a medical check on him is when you sign him and I, I guess you can say that the Bears probably should have avoided that no like it wasn't like an injury hidden in practice like this was in a nationally televised playoff game so you knew what was going on you knew he had surgery um I don't know the full extent of it but it was probably something I guess the Bears could have just passed on uh but I give him credit for backing out on that and in, in terms of the medical process they did what they had to do with that uh both getting the uh, evaluation done that Thursday I believe it was uh and then ultimately passing on him the next day
0: and rookie minicamp starts tomorrow uh friday saturday and sunday starting may 6th um how much access will you and the rest of the chicago media have for rookie minicamp and if you are going to be there what are you hoping to uh see what are you hoping to cover what can we expect
5: yeah i'll be there uh, i'm looking forward to it um it, it, i the first thing you kind of look for from my perspective is kind of seeing where you plug some of these plays like players like I'm interested to see day one tomorrow where Braxton Jones is playing. What we just talked about, like well, that says a lot about how they feel not only about him, but also about the, you know, the tackles and the rest of the offensive line. Like if he's plugging in at right guard tomorrow. I'm going to be really curious about uh, kind of how how they form the rest of the old line from there. Um, I'll be honest. There's not a ton you can glean from these things. Like I've covered now seven of these, I think. And, it's it just you get a sense of kind of what these players look like i remember when leonard floyd got drafted in 2016 and we we're all kind of alarmed like man he's undersized like he's got a lot of work to do to kind of build up to be an nfl edge rusher you know he looked like a, a shooting guard he didn't look like a, you know he didn't look like uh you know it was lining up against like with pernell mcphee he didn't look like pernell mcphee at all so <laughs> um th- there's a lot you kind of take from it a lot of different smaller notes and Really just kind of the first moment. There, there was a lot more last year when Justin Fields was taking his first snaps in a Bears uniform. And, you know, we learned a lot about like what Matt Nagy was saying then about how he's directing the other rookies and telling guys where to go. And you learn a lot about different players that way. But um, there will be some things I'll be looking for tomorrow.
0: Yeah. So you'll have an opportunity to talk to some of the players uh, um, after practice?
5: Yeah. So I, I believe tomorrow I, I get to double check the schedule, but I believe tomorrow is the two second round picks. We'll talk to you. So Gordon and Brisker.
0: Great. One of the things that was impressive about the draft was just the quality of individuals. They signed, they signed a lot. Uh, they picked up acquired a lot of team captains. And so, that was part of this overhaul that Ryan Poles is uh, a part of is just changing the culture and changing the types of players in that locker room. So uh, be interested in hearing your reports about these guys and really appreciate you being here. Um, and uh, please uh, join us again in the near future.
5: Yeah, absolutely. Good talking with you guys. Thanks for having me.
0: All right. Bye Take care. Chris Emma, 670 to score. I should have asked him to plug something. Darn it, I screwed that up. But I can tell you that uh, he is over at 670 to score sports radio, and he is their feature writer on all things Chicago Bears. He is excellent. The last time I saw him was at Wrigley Field, um, and he's just such an amiable person. You stop him, talk a little sports, take a picture with him. He's a really good guy. Uh, thanks for bringing him on, Neil.
2: Yeah, absolutely. Great dude. You know, I, I think I met him when I was up here at Northwestern working on her fits for the, the five years that I was here. And, you know, again, kind of like Jorley, big J journalist, man. Like he, he does his job. He does it to a, to a really high level. Um, You know, he's, he's, both, well, both these, both of these two that we brought on tonight are, are not the, the types that get, get wrapped up in the nonsense and the bullshit and try to peddle things that uh, are you know all hyperbole. Like they, they're, they're very much based in reality. They're uh, they're, they're down to earth human beings. Great to share beers with. And, have some good times with. I actually spent a night on Chris his couch one night. We got, you know, pretty hammered at Sluggers. That was a long <laughs> time ago, <laughs> but uh, you know, it, it was good stuff. Good times, man. He's a great dude. And good neither stuff.
1: one of these guys are gonna be running articles saying that uh, Ryan Poles is not behind uh, Justin Fields. But Justin <laughs> Hill's not his quarterback. I, I, right. I, I, yeah, I right. see those articles. I, I, it, it drives me nuts. It drives me crazy. Oh, but, my goodness.
0: Right. I mean, uh, me. Absolutely. we all know the importance economically of clickbait for for people. But when they stretch it out to the absurd, um, I refuse to visit any of these sites. I get sent a lot of uh, material from these sites. Hey, what do you think about that? And i Tell me what you read in there because I just won't click it. I won't do it.
1: Uh, and, and the one thing that you and I – all of us discussed last week was was do you think, you know, uh, uh, Justin Fields has a say in terms of, you know, the, the Bears draft and all that. And, and I was like, no, it's too early. You know, he, he hasn't proven himself yet and maybe in the future. Well, sure enough, after the draft, you know, after those little second-round picks – or those second and third round picks. Uh, Ryan Polis comes on and says, "Yeah, uh, Justin and I sat down and we watched film of receivers, and 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 you know he saw a film of, of Bayless Jones, and he was you know he had you know he liked the fact that he could be thrown to this guy. So, so like right there, if that doesn't tell you, he's he's bringing this kid, and he says he goes, he goes, he's my quarterback, and he's going to be pulling the trigger on these, and I want him to right. his input on some of these players, and something. So I was like, if that's not enough, and you're still writing these articles, I, I'm not sure what else is going to have to be said and done here."
2: Yeah, there's, there's one guy that, that's out in L.A. I'm not sure if he was around for the Times or for the uh, who gives a f, you know, you know, pick you or whatever the hell. But, you know, talking about how the indication that something, something showed that Justin Fields was not going to be the guy next year. Or or I, I, I'm just thinking to myself, like, what gives you the inclination that you have any business speaking on this issue? <laughs> You're all the way out in L.A. You have no connection to the to the to the the, the issue whatsoever. It, you know it is that type of stuff you you just see it on social media and it drives you crazy like you just pe- people just cannot get enough of putting stuff out there for the sake of being controversial mm-hmm. yep. trying to drive clicks
0: That's as Joe says it's all about the clickbait. that's yep. a it's all about the click
1: about the click oh, no. <laughs> <All> right. <laughs> I'm glad you left that for the last show of the, of the year although <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's
0: let's do some player evaluation. Uh, Danny, I'm going to turn it over to you because I know you selected some clips from Valus Jones. And- yeah, so
1: so last week when when the, the pick was made, obviously, I, you, know, I, I, you know, we heard the Debo comparisons, right? We heard we heard you know uh, how are they going to utilize this kid? I, I, know, I know a lot of fans are are, are you know kind of hung up on that 25 year old thing. Don't worry about that, guys. I, again, this is this is a guy, and and when you put on his tape, and we'll show you some clips here. here in terms of how this guy is, is developed, how he's getting better. Yeah, yeah, he had a slow start to his collegiate career, but some, some of these plays we're going to show you right now, we're going to run right now for you, is, is going to show you, give you indication in terms of what he can do. This first one here, just a quick hitting play. Again, the quarterback gets the ball into his hands and quickly. You can see his speed here as he just quickly accelerates upfield. And the one thing you'll know about this in, this theme here on, on this tape is, is it rarely does the first defender bring him down. You now we keep talking about his ability in terms of yak yards after contact, and that's something you're going to see on this tape. This guy is 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 well built, muscular throughout his frame, 205 pounds, and you see here you, he'll just the contact balance, the power to break through one or two arm tackles. You will rarely see on these any of these clips that the first guy bringing him down. And that's a, you know that's one of the comparisons you get to, with Debo Samuel as well is, is the you know his his how quick he is here again he's he's uh he's in the offset uh, formation here, the uh, the running back and his receiver are are leading him here as a, as a runner. You get the ball in his hands on, on this on this sweep motion here or call it a jet sweep or what it's more like a like a like a looks like a double reverse somewhat but again just an example of get the ball in this kid's hands and let him do his thing and you can see here he's pointing out his you know his, to his blockers who to block who to get okay. and look at the end here he, he's 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 you know aggressive and he and he's agitated because he wants to get more more yards and that's the thing that is is where you get some of these debo comparisons is the way he runs with the football and his hands how angry he is so this one here, This next clip, the first thing you'll look at, look at the cushion that DB gives him. And that's because of that that speed. They fear that speed. And here he does a nice route as he gets a corner to go ahead and open up his hips to the outside. He then stems him inside, catches the ball at full speed, and, of course, manages to pick up, again, six or seven yards after contact. So this is what I'm expecting to see here from this kid, you know, going forward is, is this ability to, you know, defenders are going to back up. They're going to give him that, that cushion and they're going to, you know, allow him to go and eat up that chunk and then make some plays here in front of them. So uh again, this next clip here, clip four. We're talking here about a just a simple out route to the flat here. Again, catches it. You know, all he needs is just a little bit of blocking, and he does the rest as he just bursts upfield into the end zone. Again, a minor thing here, but just look at the tail end of this of this run, guys. See him cover up that ball and protect that ball when he when he comes, when he feels contact coming. Scouts and coaches notice that. And and they love that. They 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 note that too. So you know, he to the, the ball protection is is important to him. And he knows that whenever that you know that contact's coming, you got to cover up and, and get into the end zone, and make that touchdown. So, you know, again, just a simple flat route. He does the rest, gets up field quickly, turns on the jet and that burst, that speed. And you know, this is where you when you put on his clips and you isolate on this kid, you see that four one, three speed. Uh, this one here is is a clip that I kind of marked uh, as as a not not a too flattering clip. You know, you don't want to see this a ton on this film. Actually, you don't see it as a ton on this film, I should say. But here, you know, he has what I call alligator arms on on this pass as he felt that defender bearing down on him. Uh, you know, you know. Now I admit that the ball placement by his quarterback was horrible. You know, as he was leading him right into harm's way. But you know, you you can't just put those kind of plays or those kind of attempts on on tape here. So that's one thing that I I, I didn't like about him in, in this particular play here, where he kind of you know, pulled back and alligator armed that that pass though. But, but got, again, you, you don't see a lot of these on, on his clips, though. Yeah, I gotta tell you, though. I mean, that's it's a bad throw. Throwback. It's a bad throw. Yeah. <laughs> Jeez, he's he's leading him into harm's way, and, and, and I know he's protecting himself, but it's yeah. just, you know, this doesn't look good, you know? Here, sure. on this clip here, on the flip side, you know, here we see him run an inside dig route, and with a defender on top, you know, we see him extend outside his frame, plucking nice. the ball out of the air, showing, again, no fear here, you know, eluding one defender, breaking tackle, and a watch. you know, again, towards the end here, as he Took you know, it took four all miss defenders to go and bring him down. Again, here I, I told you that that previous play that was the kind of like a rarity. You don't see that kind of uh, you know attempt on here on his on his game film. But here, look at it. it stretches out knows the defender's coming. But again, guys, notice four defenders to bring him down, and that's why they kept talking about his ability in terms of yak yards after contact. So you see it on his tape here. Uh This clip here again we see a, a glimpse here of how effective he can be in the slot. It, you know, explodes into his route. A jab step to the outside, gets the corner to bite. Jones then crosses his face mask and is open down the seam. You know, contours and adjusts to the ball, bounces off a defender and lunges for the end zone. You know, he falls just short, but again, what, what the theme here is makes them adjust body control contour makes the catch. And then what do you do? He breaks tackles. He's breaking tackles. He's, you know, bouncing off of defenders and he almost scored there as well. So, you know, these are things that, yeah, he doesn't have prolific numbers in terms of what he's done over, over his collegiate career, but his, this last year was where it was his best year. And I think this is where he kind of just kind of took the next step. And I think what the Bears and what we've heard so far after the draft was you know they 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 took him with a plant. You know, they didn't just take him to, to take him. They said, you know, we knew this guy, his strengths and, and his weaknesses, and where we're gonna go ahead and, and let him kind of just grow in front of our eyes. You know, same thing with Debo Samuel. Debo came out of South Carolina as, as a very talented guy, very talented kid with with, with good speed and and a lot of a lot of guts, though, a lot of guts, you know, in terms of, you know, after the catch and all that stuff. And and what Shanahan has done with him is, is get him in a position to get the ball in his hands, whether it's out of the backfield, whether it's on slip screens, bubble screens, or passes down the field. So... Uh, I, I think this—that's a vision that they might have here in terms of something similar. With what they could use, Velus Jones here at. So again, and this doesn't even talk touch about you know his his abilities as a punt returner and a kick returner as well. So uh, you know I'm I'm real excited in terms of see what their plan is and how it kind come, of comes to fruition here and what Luke Getsy does with with this kid. But again, uh, you know a lot of people were knocking this pick initially, but I just I, like I said on, on draft day, like give it a chance. You know especially once you put on his tape, you see. You kind of of see what they're visioning here in terms of how they utilize this kid. And, again, any kind of weapon is a weapon, right, whether it's a straight-out receiver, whether it's a a jack-of-all-trades, kind of like Bayless Jones. So let's see how how this kid develops, and let's see how they utilize him before you guys pass judgment on on, on the prospect.
0: And Ryan Poles was the one who made the initial, not comparison, but did bring up Debo Samuel's uh, name. And, Danny, you you were
1: comparing him to, to Debo, were you? No, I'm I'm saying I'm I'm saying they're going to be using him like Debo, you know, not saying he's going to
2: do the Debo uh, Debo comp. it was was Matt Nagy that put that out there.
1: Uh, Ryan Poles, Matt Nagy, Ryan Poles, right? You talking about
2: Neil? Oh man, Matt Nagy also made the Debo comparison.
1: Matt Nagy.
2: For Jim Nagy, I'm sorry, Jim Nagy, Jesus. Oh, okay.
1: Oh, okay. Sorry. I'm loud. I, I was lost words right. there. I'm like, <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, uh, you know, Matt Nagy got fired, we, right? We talk about like, Matt Nagy
2: so damn much on the show that it, <laughs> it, at this point, it's just like a Freudian slip. But yeah, no, yeah, no, Jim yeah. Nagy was was talking about that on yep. uh, on on Twitter the other day. He actually yeah, had a, exactly. a soundbite. Of him on a show, comparing him to Debo Samuel, how yeah, have uh,
0: that, he actually. can be used me, in the system and how that. the polls as a uh, Let me interrupt you uh, a second. Let me interrupt. I have that clip. Uh, this is oh. Jim Nagy, Executive Director of the Senior
4: Bowl. When you talk to NFL teams, everyone's looking for the next Debo. So what it's, what it's, you know, forced us to do is when we evaluate the receiver position, run, you know, ball skill, you know, ability to, what they do with the ball in their hands and run skills and some of that hybrid running back skill set is something that we really value now. So, Uh, For instance, a guy in this year's class, Bayless Jones from Tennessee. He's a receiver. He's a very good returner. Um, He averaged over 16 a punt this year at Tennessee. Um, You know, he's a guy that before the season started, um, Bayless is a hometown mobile guy, like, but he probably wouldn't have been. And I was honest with Bayless when we invited him, like a year ago, you probably wouldn't have been in the game. One, he took a nice jump. Um, But two, the league's looking for guys like that. They're looking for guys that, you know, are strong and powerful and, and good with the ball in their hands. So, yeah it's certainly changed the way we look at what we're doing we you know all our job is is to get players the nfl wants and right now the nfl everyone wants to find the next Debo samuel so yeah you're seeing different things stressed at different position groups
0: so that's where it came from and then ryan pose uh brought it up in the press conference and now we're uh bringing it up here uh as a and you can
1: see it when you watch his tape and those are just, those just a handful of clips I just pulled out here. But you watch three or four of his claims. You know, you see the ball in his hands, whether it's on those slip screens, bubble screens, you know, quick throws in a flat, you know, jet sweeps. You know, just get the ball in his hands and let him do his thing. So, And again, his, this kid's uh, ability is, is, or his calling card is going to be his speed, his burst, and his ability to break tackles with that contact balance and contact power. So, again, I'm not saying he's going to be Debo Samuel, but I think they're gonna be utilize, he's going to be utilized the same way as Debo Samuel has been utilized.
2: Yeah, that's the important thing to me is, is that there, there is the position versatility that you get with a guy like Villas-Jones, a guy that can be a receiver, transition very quickly to running back. You can, you can attribute the term yak to him and also rack to him, you know, running after contact and yards after contact because he acts like a receiver and he acts like a running back all at the same time. After he catches the football, he transitions very quickly into the running back role, and he picks up a lot of yards after contact. He breaks through, you know, easy tackles, and he's a, he's a tough kid. You know, he, he's a physical player. And the other thing about it is, too, is that like we were talking about their two previous guests earlier, is that the the guys have a plan for this kid. They sat down with Justin Fields and they earmarked about a handful of players that Justin Fields said, yeah, I want to play with this guy. They brought him in. They know exactly how they're going to use him. There isn't going to be much of a learning curve because they're probably going to do a lot of similar stuff that Tennessee did with him, you know, during his last year there. But, um, you know, those are the two takeaways I I have on that. I think the kid's, you know, really interesting. And we'll, we'll just see what happens. You know, again, rookie minicamp starts tomorrow. And then uh, we got, uh, you know, in a, in a couple weeks here, um, you know, OTAs begin. And that's really when we'll start to see, you know, these rookies get together with these veterans and see how this stuff shakes out.
0: I do agree with Jordan here. And some of the tape that I have seen that uh, Velas doesn't always play to that four three one speed. I've seen him get caught uh, from behind a little bit on some of these clips. Uh, have you guys seen that too?
1: In, in terms of, I didn't, I don't read the the, the comment. Uh, what do you say?
0: Uh, Jordan is saying that he doesn't play like he has four, three, one speed, and that there are times he gets caught from behind. And I've seen
1: that as well
0: with some of the tape I looked at.
1: Well, I mean, when, when I watch his tape, I, those couple of square clips right there, you see the you see the speed in terms of the burst, the acceleration into know in, into the end zone. Now, you know, uh, there, there are a lot of not a lot of goal routes. Uh, there are a couple of times you see him run just a, drive by a, 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 a corner or DB. Uh, but just made, just kind of limited in terms of his his route tree. But you know you see that big cushion that these DBs are giving him. You know they're giving him a cushion for a reason. You know they're not giving him cushion because they're you know they're not scared of him. But you know they give him that cushion for that some of that speed, some of that element of, of fear that he brings to them. So you know whether he runs four three one or he runs a four four forty, you know he, the kid is fast and you cannot deny that. You know if you watch his tape, you watch you know not just highlights but you watch multiple games of his, of, of him. You know uh, you'll see some of that burst acceleration as he gets down upfield. And and gets past defenders.
2: You also see, you know, during those clips that you put up there, Danny. You'll, you'll see the way that he runs his routes. His footwork is very smooth. There's a quick lot of there, there, Really quick feet. Very little waste of motion at the at the uh, at the beginning of the route. At the top of the route, there he's got juice. He's got uh, you know you know sharp cuts. You know there, there's not a whole lot there that allows the the DB a chance to recover if he gets out of position whatsoever. And so, you know, in in terms of guys, we we talk about play speed all the time, right? We talk about play speed, how guys play versus what the 40 time is. This kid, we know he's fast, but also his play speed in terms of how he runs his routes allows him to get separation quickly because at the top of the routes, there isn't a whole lot of dancing. Way too many of these guys that that are either raw route runners or just way too, uh, you know, selfish with the way they play the game, they'll dance a lot at at the top of the route. And they'll they'll end up putting themselves at a disadvantage, allowing the cornerback or or the uh, the down nickel to be able to catch up if they're out of position and defend the pass. I think that's also really important when you're talking about a guy like Bayless. In, in that, yeah, he's not he, he doesn't look. I understand Jordan what you're saying. I mean, you know, there, there, there's times in one of these clips it looked like he gets like you know kind of caught. The the DB took a really good angle on that play number one, but. You know, the thing about it is, is that, you know, this kid, a lot of times the way that, that he excels is that he does get the separation very easily. He also has jest to be able to run by guys. And so I don't think there's anything to be concerned about in terms of him being caught from behind. But the way that he runs around, so sharp, so smooth, right right there, just like boom, boom, you know, just very, very quick cuts. You juice off the cut, creates a the couple of yards separation to be able to make that play. Catch that, that ball off that corner that's playing you know really tight coverage at the top of the route. And again, because he made that quick cut right there, because it was just a little two-step deal, that corner who Vales went ahead and turned around 360, didn't have an opportunity to, to use his recovery ability and catch up and bat that ball down.
1: And for me, he, he's still developing as a rut runner. I mean, he can yeah. still get better, you know, but but you still you see that quick fee at the top of his route to be able to, to jab, step, and stem, and cross the face of a defender. You know, that that that's quickness, that's speed, that's all all that, you know, incorporate into one. So, um, you know... A, I think this is a kid. You know, you know, maybe maybe he does. He does not run a four four a four three one in in his, in his you know full uniform right now. But he's still plenty fast enough. I, I mean, I, I I don't think he's going to be running a four five or four six on Sundays. That's for sure in his uniform.
0: The uh, concerns about his age, there shouldn't be any concerns about his age. 25 years old. uh, He will be a Chicago Bear for the next four years. Being 25 doesn't mean that he is uh, a liability. It actually could be of use. He's more mature. He's seen more in his lifetime. You know, the... uh, Neil, in one of our last shows talked about you know the uh, the length of careers for wide receivers, and if this guy turns out to be a, a godsend, then he's he'll be with the Chicago Bears for at least five years because they can put the franchise tag on him after they sign him to a four-year contract. So the issue with twenty-five years old—that was an issue years ago with with people who would bring that up. It's no longer an issue in the NFL. You find talent, you sign them. Well, now of course, if you're if you're talking about a twenty-eight-year-old. Um, you know, that's that's different. There was a quarterback who was the quarterback that came into the NFL a few years ago, several years ago, maybe 10 years ago, uh, who was like 28 years old. Um, do you guys oh, recall? or um, Quar- corner?
1: Quarterback,
0: quarterback. quarterback uh,
1: uh, Chris Winkie, yeah, it was, it was yeah, that's right. That's because right. he, he played baseball. He went to play baseball, okay. and then he, and he came back to, to – he yeah. had some eligibility left As came back to college. But, uh, yeah. Uh, but I, And I think, I think correct me if I'm wrong, Neal, Avelis uh, sat out a year because of transferring from USC to, to, to Tennessee, and also I think also sat out another year because of COVID, right? So he actually sat out two years of football, yeah, I believe. Correct. Yeah, so you know he's made 25, but he hasn't really gotten the you know the beating of the punishment of all those years of, of college football. So he you know he, he, actually he's, they brought it up to him put in a post draft interview, and he goes you know. He goes, I might be 25, but I have a body of a 21-year-old because of the fact he's he's taken you know, relatively two years off of, of, you know, football, from football. So uh, that, that doesn't bother me. Like, again, you know, typically third-round picks, they're going to get a four-year contract. You know, if, if he's if he's good or great, then they're going to sign him to another four-year contract most likely. So you're talking about eight years. So you're talking about when he's, when he's done playing, he's 33 years old. Yeah, if, and you, if you, you know.
2: go back into the background of a lot of these guys, I think, you know, a couple things that Poles and this staff valued and prioritized was age leadership, experience, grownups, you know, guys that aren't going to dick around and, and you know, embarrass the team on the field. Guys are going to do the right things. Guys that are going to be into the playbook, football junkie, you know, type dudes like you hear that, that term thrown up, football junkie, film junkie, whatever the case may be. They value that kind of stuff, you know, you know, and if you look through all these backgrounds, especially with, with these, uh, these undrafted free agents, you had a, a bunch of guys that were, that were on the Van Wilder plan, man. They were there for like seven, eight years. <laughs> at, the, at their schools because they, they got redshirted. They, there was a medical, they took their COVID year. You know, yeah, some guys, you know, come in here as undrafted free agents, grown-ass men. And, you mm-hmm. know, there's a lot to be said for, for guys that are grown up that, that can handle the maturity of being in the NFL, making a little bit of money, not blowing it, you know, yep. ma- ma- making, you know, mature educated decisions, right? So, and, and you, know, the, you know, the other thing about it is too, is like you guys under- got to understand the other thing about, you know, drafting guys with some age. These LDS kids, Mm-hmm. they always come into the league at 25 26 years old all mm-hmm. you know specifically all the BYU kids but all the other kids that that have that background that do the the the, the mormon mission they come back they play for you know 3 or 4 years they get drafted at, at about the same age as Vales hasn't mm-hmm. hampered a bunch of uh, of those guys in the league jim McMahon. I don't, right. think, I, don't I don't think ever would did a mormon mission but you know <laughs> i doubt
0: it <laughs> <laughs> the key thing is that and jordan is funny
2: caveat. <laughs> you had Jim McMahon, you know, doing a Mormon mission? No. Yeah. The key you know thing Steve is Jordan, did.
0: Jordan Fields is 23 years old, just turned 23 in uh, early March. And, and that's the key thing. You know, if this guy turns out to be good quarterback that we all think and hope and, and, and wish that he will be. You know he is going to have a long long career with the Chicago Bears. All right, let's turn over to Braxton Jones. Uh Danny, it's all yeah, you yeah, so
1: call. so when when Neil and I were both talking, the Bears didn't get an offensive tackle with the with the first three picks, right? With big 39, 48, and 71, that they're probably gonna have to go into day two and look for a developmental developmental type of prospect, right? And you know, we Braxton Jones was one of the guys that, that really came my eye down at the senior bowl. And, and he was one that that fell into that developmental prospect type of range. You know, the kid is, you know, 6'5", 3'10", 35 and 3'8", arm length, a two-year starter left tackle, you know, missed 2020 due to COVID. But, you know, 2021 was a first-team all-big-sky selection. And, you know, you put this – you know, the kid's rough around the edges. I'm not saying he's a polished product, but I think this kid has a shot at becoming a future starting left tackle on this team. I'm not saying next year, but definitely uh, in, in the future. So here, the first clip here – we want to show you here that this is this is going to be an inside zone run, and and you see here Jones as he's he's, he's going to show off some of that athletic ability by flipping by reaching that interior defensive lineman, reach blocking them, flipping his hips into the gap, and then sealing off any sort of backside pursuit by the defender. Again, in this zone scheme, you're going to see a lot of this stuff, guys. Inside zone, outside zone. You know, you, you know your offensive lineman has got to be able to do reach blocks, which is which is you know. Reach about two, three yards to the interior defender. Get get your hips and your feet into that gap and block off any sort of backside pursuit. And you see some of the athletic ability here with with Braxton Jones in this very first clip. Uh, this this next clip here that we're going to eventually run here. This is a, a a nice pass out here by Jones. First of all, see how quick he is out of his stance. Pops out and look at his feet, guys. Very very quick feet as he you know is already kick sliding to his set spot. Extend his arms and he locks up the pass rusher. And now he's just dancing with the defender, you know, keeping his shoulders square to the defender. Notice towards the end of the rusher, notice towards the end, the rusher's trying to counter his blocking by spinning inside. But Jones won't have any of that. And he just neutralizes him with, with a nice move there, too. So, again, nice pass block, quick feet, athletic feet, gets it as cuts off the edge. And then now the, the rusher's trying to do a, a counter move and he just blocks him off and just seals off. So, that's a, that's a terrific pass set here for Jones. This next clip here. With this clip, I wanted to show you his hand and upper body strength. Watch as he torques and he throws his edge defender right out the club. I call it the defender is you know you know rendered useless pretty much you know early on in this in this, uh, this down here. You know as, as he tries you know and in, I like the way Jones then maintains his block and does not allow the defender to go and wriggle free and possibly get get involved in a play. So again, hand strength and and his ability to upper body strength to go ahead and torque the defender and just throw him out. And not not even, you know, have them rendered anywhere near the play to, you know, to kind of sneak in there and make a tackle or, or trip a runner or anything like that. So, you know, that's what you want to see is you wanna see some of that ability there as well. This next clip here is gonna be run blocking, right? Here he waddles up to the edge defender, attacks, and turns him outside. You know, says, you know, come with me, little man, as he goes and just creates that, that crease for that runner to run behind him here. Love that he absolutely just wipes out the defender, that they have no chance of getting back into the play. Just kind of like this, the previous play, right? The defender has no shot at, of getting in, get his hand in there, you know, making a tackle or, or tripping up a running back or anything like that. So that's what you want to see. You want to see him just kind of maintain that block and finish it, you know, playing through the through the whistle here is, is what you like to see with these offensive linemen. This here so so you know I asked for some nastiness right and, and here he shows me some of that on, on this on this uh, play here. watches the defender tries to beat him to the inside shoulder. he just catches him, continues to run his feet and then just you know lets his body weight just kind of fall on top of him and bury him into the ground. So, you know, you want to see this. Neil and I love seeing offensive linemen just bury these defenders and just fall on top of them. So, again, maybe he was a little pissed off because the guy is trying to get to his inside shoulder, just grabs him, just runs him then into the ground and just buries him. Now, that's what I want to see. I want to see some nastiness. And I'm, I don't see enough of that, but, you know, that's hopefully there's, it's in there as we see with that clip there. Um here, I just want to show you that that he shows us the ability to be able to anchor. You know, Watch as the defender gets into his torso, causes him to elevate his pads, which is an issue he's going to have to work on and lose some of his leverage. But he recovers nicely by resetting his feet, arching his back, and doing what we call building the bridge to absorb the defender's push and then maintain his block. You know, a lot of times, you know, his, his one of his things going to have to work on is, is not allowing the defender to go ahead and get into his chest and elevate his pad level because that's what happens. You lose your leverage. But here he recovers nicely. Again, those long arms, this is why I like long arms, guys. This He gets back into the torso of, of, of the defender. The chest plate controls him. Again, resets his feet, arches that back, and then he, he towards that bull rush. This last clip here, I uh, just wanted to show you his ability to go ahead and reach that second-level defender on this inside zone run. And he latch, latches on, and he runs the defender back seven yards. So this is this is what we're talking about. Again, I always talk about these these offense linemen, this zone, this system have to be athletic. They have to be able to reach their second level block, and, and they'll be able to maintain and hold that defender, so allow that run play to go ahead and develop behind them. So again, he has that ability as well. Shows you some of that too. So a lot of things here that I like about Braxton Jones. You know, the you know the, the quick feet, the athletic ability, the, the length, the uh, um, the ability to to you know to be a, a dancing bear in terms. Terms of you know uh pass rush keeping your shoulders squ- square to the defender a lot of positives that i like seeing in, in my left tackles now i again i'm not saying he's going to be ready to come in day one and start next week if he does great that'll be a pleasant surprise he's still a little rough on the edges but it's things that you could coach up it's not he's not missing athletic ability he's not missing the length he's not missing the the you know prerequisites that you need to play left tackle in this position in this in this league also to play left tackle in this scheme so those are the things that excite me about Braxton Jones and that's one of the things like once you get this coaching staff gets their hands on him I like to see what he develops into
2: yeah and we're we're talking about in the positions that we were in this draft and what was left on the board when we were in those positions how we weren't going to get a a, you know ready-made plug-and-play left tackle guy's going to be you know ready to go right away put him in there you know, project Justin Fields off off the off, off the, uh, the the pass rushing edge, um, but with with Braxton Jones, like you, you pointed out, and you know some of the things that we talked about on the show for, for a few weeks now, coachable deficiencies, right? There there are things about about his lower body technique, things about his his hand technique, you know, things about you know his pad level that are easily fixable, right? You know, in in terms of the way that, that he gets off the ball, how he allows guys up inside his, his chest plate to you know kind of control his body, lift lift, it, lift his pad level up a little bit. Those those are all things that are coachable. The thing I love about him is that you, you you touched on it, the the popcorn feet, his ability to move laterally, the athletic ability in space, you know. And he does have that nastiness inside him. We saw in the one play where he buried the guy, but you didn't even pop you didn't, didn't even touch on the uh, the uh, the uh, uh, I think it was clip 3, the violence of his hands. How mm-hmm. he did, he took his right hand, just like yep. smacked that guy Force down go. to the ground. Yep. Like those, those are the things that if you're, if you're talking about uh, your offensive line evaluations at the highest level, those are things that you point out. You make notes up on tape. Like yeah, he shows hand violence. He shows he shows uh you know heavy physical hands. You know he he shows obviously we always note the ability to be able to finish guys, to to be nasty, to put guys on the turf, and you know, all those different types of things. Those, those are the kind of like you know minute things that you kind of see pop up here and there that shows like yeah he's got it in him. And and again, like you know, Greg, Greg Gabriel on his show a couple of weeks ago talked about grading the clashes. Though so, those that's what's what you know important about you'll know, make notes on on uh, those film evaluations of you know the kind of like minor things that you see that you just gotta bring a little bit more out of.
1: Right and that's the thing Daniel is is like you're looking for a trace right especially for day 3 guys you're looking for guys that can bring in like like you, you've used a term before a lump of clay right just kind of mold mm-hmm. them and, and make them into the player you want to make them into so I think Jones fits right into that criteria like I said you know the, the prerequisites I'm looking for in my left tackle especially in this, in this system is is quick feet Quick out of his stance, can can he block, can he skip to a set, uh, set spot and cut off the, the the angle for the edge rusher? You know, does he have the length, the arm length? He's got you know tremendous arm length. Does he have the athletic ability to be able to go ahead and and, and arch his back and build that bridge and, and stop a, a, a an anchor? Be able to anchor? Does can he get out to the next level? Can he can he do that? He does all that stuff. Again, there are some run plays where he, he kind of oversets or he, or he kind of overruns the defender. the guy gets inside of him. You know, those are things that are all going to be coached in this kid. And again, he's a guy that that I, I don't know if he's going to be able to start in week one but i'm telling you he's a guy that can come in and compete for a, possibly a position and, and and that's why i would love to get a veteran in there have him kind of sit back a year and no with no pressure and just kind of just kind of learn from him. i know chris mentioned chris i mentioned that he probably might go in and compete a right guard i leave him on the left side guys i wouldn't i wouldn't mess with him he's been a le- left tackle for all of his career in, in college and i think he's got the the athletic traits the ability to go out and play left tackle in this league so i would not mess with him i think some of the other guys that we, they drafted like the kid zach thomas from from san Diego state i think he could be thrown into the mix because he's played Left tackle, right guard, right tackle. He, Zach Thomas has has that uh, you know position of versatility where I would put him in that group with Bore and with with Tevin Jenkins and let him let those three guys battle off for of those two positions on, on the right side.
2: Yeah, Jordan I'm gonna... remind me of something with, with his comment. Remind me of something that I wanted to touch on real quick too. Is that in terms of how he uses hands and his arms? Like there, there's times I feel like he doesn't realize how long of arms he actually has. He's got 36 right. inch arms. Right. And sometimes he just lets these guys get up inside him. Yeah. Like, dude, you 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 you're a stretch from here to to Rockford. Right. Use those bad boys, man.
1: Exactly. And when he does, when he locks you up, you're done. You're done. And because he's got the feet, he's got the uh, there's like uh, the lateral agility to be able to dance with the defender. He locks you out. You're you're done. You, if you the defender cannot control his you know his his chest plate and, and lift his pads up, make him lose leverage. He locks him up. He's he's the guy's pretty much done. Mm-hmm.
0: forget about who's going to be the starter at left tackle. I want you guys to uh, evaluate the possibility that the right-hand s- side of the line could be Tevin Jenkins at right tackle and Larry Borum at right guard. What do you guys think about that?
1: I'm okay with that.
2: Yeah. Love okay that. With that. We, we, we were talking last year about how Tevin Jenkins, we didn't see him as a fit at left tackle. We thought he could potentially be a fit at right tackle. We've, we we ultimately felt that he his best, uh, you know, uh, position projection was right guard specifically for the reasons that we, that we brought up in terms of, we don't think that he's, he's as quick on the edge as we'd like. We don't think that, uh, you know, there, there were, there were things about his, his, uh, his football character that were, there were question marks, but I, I think that in terms of football character, he kind of clarified a lot of those things you know, in, in his first year, but for a guy that that's played right tackle for, for his entire career, we just talked about Rex Jones, not moving him to the right side because he played left tackle all of his career. Tevin Jenkins is a guy that played right tackle all of his career. It's, it's a very comfortable position for him. And it's, it's like, you know, riding a bike again for him, Larry Boreham moving inside to, to right guard is a guy that we talked about last year, a guy that played tackle that potentially his best position projection could be moving inside the guard as well. And so if that's what your, your right side of your line looks like, if we go into it with Borum and, and Tevin Jenkins on, on, on those sides of, of the center, I'm great with that. I think that that is a phenomenal way to start the year. Um, especially if, Braxton Jones ends up being a guy that you get to speak quickly and he meshes himself in, into the scheme and ends up being the guy at, at left tackle. If you can correct all of these, all, all of these uh, you know, coach coachable deficiencies right off the bat and, and and get him molded to where you need him to be. I, I feel like, you know, you're, you're you're pretty set. I don't know, you know, and especially with, you know, Zach Thomas coming in, like you touched on Danny. Zach Thomas is a guy with all the position versatility, all the athleticism. All the 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 explosivity, he has all the mean streak, the toughness, all these other things that we talk about. And we like, he's definitely a guy that could be in the mix. And we're not, we haven't talked about Terry Carter yet.
1: Right, and I, I think he's a guy that that's got left tackle. He's played left tackle, but I think he's going to be a guard. Now, guard you know, all the way. You, Yeah. Do do you? I, I would prefer to let him sit in because be a depth guy, you know, backup guard or not. But uh, but I, I think Zach Thomas could come in and compete this you know this season at, at right guard. And, and, and I'm hoping that, that Braxton Jones gets get coached up and gets some of those, those bad habits out of him and that he could compete at left tackle. But, uh, mm-hmm. yeah, I mean, I, I mean, I, I prefer a veteran there, obviously, but, you know, we, we'll see what happens. We'll see, you know, in terms of what they do here, in terms of how the final roster shakes up. But, yeah, definitely, you know, like we touched on it earlier, you know, if you want to go in there and get a developmental type of prospect at left tackle, Braxton Jones is, is, is a nice, nice get there for me.
2: Iceberg Slim had a good comment. He likes that all these guys play different positions when you're when you're a scout and when you're a GM, when you're a director and a coordinator, you know what, what you look for in terms of your offensive linemen or guys that, that can be versatile. You don't want to you don't want to draft a one trick pony. Right. You, you want to draft an interior guy that could play all three. You want to draft an, uh, an outside guy that could play both and, and also have the ability to kick inside if, if, if you need to. Because you're only going to carry a, a very select number of guys on the roster as it is. You only have a 53-man roster. You can't have you know two, three deep at every position, right? You're going to have you're going to have one or two interior guys that that could be flex. You're going to have probably you know one or two you know outside guys that can flex, right? You got to you got to have the position versatility to get the most bang out of your buck.
0: Good stuff, gentlemen. Uh, I took the liberty of putting together some clips of the new safety, uh, Jaquan Brisker. I am not a scout here, but I'm going to play one. <laughs> You're done, Aldo. Yeah. Done. Help me out here, Neil, when, when I stumble. Here is uh, uh, Brisker playing in what looks to me a cover for formation, the cornerback. The cornerbacks will drop deep into alignment, uh, deep down the field, as will both safeties. And I just love the way he makes the decision here of, the ball's not going here. Let me get over and cover this guy. He Gets a hand in the ball. And he's upset with himself that he didn't get both hands on the ball for the interception. What do you guys see?
1: Yeah, I, I see. I see a guy that that's got his eyes in the backfield. He's comfortable being able to to drop back in coverage and be able to read what's going on in the backfield. And I also show a guy who's got instincts. Right, he's a guy that that shows the ability to that you know read it. All right, he's not going this way. I'm going to go ahead and turn around, and make a play on, on on this receiver to my outside. So that's that's what I see from that play.
0: And then and this next clip. This is what I like. This is Chicago Bears defensive back. Uh, watch him here going into the center field position, and he is going to zero in on the wide receiver, and he is going to knock the out of him. Neil, isn't that beautiful, a thing of beauty?
2: hundred percent. hundred percent. That is something that we've been missing from our defensive backfield, and I kept on saying from day one on the show for this season, is that we don't have anybody back there that scares the shit out of receivers. We don't have anybody back there that, that's that's going to, you know, lay a physical hit. You don't have anybody back there that's a reliable tackler. This kid, you know, we when, when Courtney was on, I think is, is when we were talking about the possibility of drafting Jaquan Brisker. Maybe it's a, uh, you know, light of fire in, under Eddie Jackson's ass like type of deal. This kid could play both strong and free. He could play all over, you know, the, the deep secondary. Mm-hmm. And the things about him that you like is that, yeah, he could be a ball hawk. You like that he has range from the hash to the sideline. You like that he's willing to go ahead and throw his shoulder into somebody, and he also like that he can go ahead and wrap some wrap, wrap a uh, wrap a guy up and be a reliable tackler, which we haven't even seen yet. You yeah. know, so and, you know we we, have, we haven't had a guy like you know in, in Chicago like this since I, you know I, I you know Adrian Amos was was a uh, was a unique you know uh, situation. We had him for a very short period of time, which we had him longer, but yeah, like I, I keep you know going back to you know when this defense was extremely good and we had Mike Brown back there a guy that could play both positions, a guy that could, you know, lay his shoulder into you, knock you out, separate the ball from the man. You know, if we can get that kind of physicality back in our defensive secondary, that that's phenomenal. This kid has the athleticism, the speed, the explosion, and, and also, you know, the, the field awareness to be able to you know, play all over the secondary.
0: And the tackling technique is just perfect. Jordan says in the chat that there's a similar play where he uses his shoulder shoulder to flatten an offensive tackle. I'll look for that. Jordan. I, I want to see that play. Uh, this is him playing the run and he's got great instincts this is looks to me uh Danny uh like almost a a,
1: a run, run blitz. yeah looks like it yeah, looks like a run blitz looks like they on the formation he already keyed on something and he knew kind of yeah. knew where the, running, the the play was going to go so Again, uh, he's, he's a guy that does not is not afraid to throw his weight around. And uh, that's the one thing that I, I know a lot of guys you got, we're looking for here at safety. So, um, you know, he's a kid that, that is talented. He's got some talent. He also got a guy that I believe can come down and give you something in terms of coverage, in terms of covering big tight ends in the slot and all that stuff. So uh, I know that's not what he's known for, but I think he, he can do that as well. So, again, we're talking about something where you can coach him up and get him better in a certain area or not. So I think that's where he can improve.
0: And one of my favorite highlights of his play, uh, same game against Wisconsin, a game-changing play. Uh, good hands on this play, reads the ball perfectly a, t- a pass to the tight end, and he just makes an outstanding interception and the run after the catch is super.
1: And that's again, that's what you're gonna be doing a lot in this defense. You're gonna be your, your defensive backs are gonna be have their eyes into the backfield, kind of just trying to read and, and kind of react on on the, what the quarterback's doing there. So uh I think that you know this is why something like that kind of stood off for the Bears and because that's what they're going to be asking him to do a lot is, is just going to step back there and read and react to the to the quarterback and what's happening in, in the offense. So I think that the kid shows the ability to, like I said, come downhill, be being a force in terms of run defense. I think he's shown some instincts in terms of pass coverage as well. So, uh, you know, range wise, you know, like Neil touched on in terms of his, his ability to get from the hash mark to the sideline. So even if you're playing that cover two shell or if you're playing, if you line him up in a, in a you know single high, I think he's a guy that can, can do it. Of course, I think Eddie Jackson's going to be relied on, on doing that part of it initially. Uh, But I I think you know this is a good. If if he's forced into that action to be able to play a single high and and be able to be that that lone defender back there, I think he can do it. Outstanding, Danny. Have you changed
0: your mind a little bit about the importance of the safety position, or are you still holding strong that it's not as important as some of? Not
1: not, not When you have a whole defensive tackle that's the size of you know. When next season, when when the when the when they're gushing the the defensive line, they're running on them. Uh, I'll, I'll remind you guys that their defensive line again, assuming that they don't make any other, uh, you know, pickups and free agency and all that stuff. So for me, yeah, the, the the front front seven is always going to be you know tops over over uh, a safety for me. But uh, again, it's not the player that I have a problem with in terms of Brisker. It's just the position in terms of where the Bears had needs at, especially up front.
2: Yeah, well, let's right. not forget that a rock solid back seven also helps the front four get to the quarterback too.
1: Indeed. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Got it.
0: <laughs>
1: you guys want to debate. Maybe, maybe the corners, but um, it's not the safety. <laughs> Come on, no. they're guarding. They're going I, I keep going back to the Rams last year. Man, they pulled Eric whittle off a of retirement couch, and he's starting the Super Bowl. But if it wasn't for Aaron Donald and the guys up front. The Rams were no one as a rule. Yeah, but we don't have Aaron Donald, and not exactly any,
0: no teams do.
1: Just exactly. the Rams. <laughs> Let, let's get a let's find a guy that's that's half of Aaron Donald, and then we can then we can be, we can be go get ourselves our safety. Well,
0: unfortunately, he was drafted uh, with the first pick of the second round. Uh, Jordan it, did send me that clip. Uh, let's take a look at it here. Uh, oh yeah, <laughs> that is pretty. Okay. <laughs> you see this guys? No, we can't
2: no, see it. It, it, oh, it went to uh, went to a blank screen.
0: Oh gosh! Well,
2: just play it right there. We'd be able to see it. Just play it right there.
0: Okay. Uh, probably can't see it when I uh, uh, go full screen. But here it is. There he flattens the pulling guard. I think that's a pulling guard. Yeah,
2: he's physical as hell.
0: Oh my goodness! Thank you, Jordan. Great job. <laughs> I, you know, I, I again. We won't know, you know, we we won't know for a couple of years, uh, the quality of all of these players, but I just have a gut feel. uh, And part of it again is because the process that Ryan Poles put in place to have all of his scouts working together. This is totally unlike what Ryan Pace did to John Fox when he drafted Mitchell Trubisky, when Fox wanted Deshaun Watson, but, Uh, Pace didn't have the guts, the decency, the balls to tell his head coach that he wanted Trubisky instead. He was afraid of having a debate with his head coach about who he should draft. This is a totally different environment now. It is Ryan Poles engaging with everyone on his staff and even paying respect to every single scout out out there and appreciating the work of the previous scouts, guys like uh, uh, Mark Sadowski, and, and letting them go out. Uh, in style, uh, those guys knew that their t- their time was limited. They knew their their contracts were going were up at the beginning of the month, and so a lot of them had a kind of a sense that uh, their time was going. But Pose handed it like a, a true professional, gave them the praise, uh, paid attention to their input, and uh, really respected all the work that they've done all year to prepare for the 2022 draft. So, I'm I'm really encouraged by. The process, and so now it's time to see if the results are going to be on the football field. It all starts this weekend with uh, rookie minicamp. Guys, your thoughts.
1: Yeah, exactly, and, and I, like I said uh, on, the, on the second day, of the, second night of the draft, I said, you know, he, he stuck to his board, and that, that's something you, you got to appreciate, and that's something I preach, I believe in as well. You cannot reach because when you reach is when you make mistakes. So stuck to his board. Obviously, those two are higher, you know. High, I, I think both those guys are going to be starters next year. So right off the bat, you got two starters, and, I, and like we have talked about here tonight, in terms of you know some of these offensive linemen, I think these guys are going to come in. I think at least compete and and like like he said, like Paul said, you know, turn up the heat in that in that offensive line room and and, and you know, light a fire on some of the other, some of these guys. So, uh, you know, like I said, Zach Thomas to me is, is a guy I throw right in there in terms of the right guard competition. The kid from San Diego State, uh, and and I, I will let him compete for that position. I, I would let Braxton Jones compete for left tackle, uh, and just let these guys go ahead and get coached up and see how see how I get the good. So I mean, if you come out of this first draft with four possibly five starters like i said i like i said earlier when i was talking to corny that that's that's going to be one hell of a draft class so uh you know so far so good in terms of ryan polls i like the candidness i like the openness with the media with the fans you know telling us what he sees and how he saw these players and what he envisioned for these players you know it's, it's not top secret like it was with some of the previous regime so that's something i hope that continues you know i hope it's not something that changes over time uh but yeah i mean i you know this is definitely st- stuff that uh, you know. That, that's that's the one the wheel thing that I had me go back and look at the, the Village Jones table. It was was Ryan Poles after the, the draft saying, "Hey." This is how I envision him. This is what I see in him. This is what I love in him. And then you go back and you put his tape on, and you see that you see the the yak, the yak opportunity after the catch. You know, like I said earlier, rarely does a first offender bring this kid down. So, you know, even if you give him a you know a two-yard bubble screen, the guy go up field, get six, seven yards for you. Next thing you know, it's second and one. So, you know, that that that's a huge play there for you. it might not be a you know an 80-yard touchdown, but it's a huge play. gets you in a second and one. Now your whole playbooks open now in terms of what you can call a second down. So you know, those little plays, those little things that he brings to. The offense is something that that is going to help this offense tremendously in my opinion so you know i'd like i said it's solid solid overall draft for, for ryan poles in my opinion
0: and uh nail before you offer a final thought here um that first round there were 15 offensive linemen and wide receivers picked so for almost every for the 32 picks in the first round half of them were to the two positions that people said would have helped justin Fields the best so when danny says that ryan poles paid uh, uh, respect to his board, it, it's clear. I mean, I bet you that of these 15 guys, the Econ will, Neal, London, Cross, Wilson, Olave, Williams, Green, Dotson, uh, uh, Zion Johnson, Traylon Burks, Trevor Penning, Tyler Smith, Trevor Linden, uh, Uh, Cole Strange, maybe not. Uh, uh, And in the second round, Deshaun Watson, uh, Robinson out of Kentucky, and Michi. I bet you out of those 15 and then the three in the second round, 18 players, I bet you 12 or 13 of them were ranked ahead of maybe not Kyler Gordon, but maybe the safety. And so that's why they had to Mm -hmm. go safety because the board said so. Neil, your, your floor.
2: Yeah, absolutely. And that, that goes back to, you know, the, the point that I made a couple of weeks ago in terms of, uh, you know, it, it's hard to project, you know, where we're going to be and who's going to be there until we actually get there. Because if, uh, if, if there was a run on one particular position, that means that there's going to be an abundance of another particular position available. Maybe not necessarily, as we saw, there there was a massive run on offensive line a massive run on, on wide receivers and the guy that they wanted wasn't available. Right. So, you know, you got to hand it to Poles for having a spine to stick to his gut with what he believed was the best for the team. As I talked earlier, he was he was he was uh, beholden to the Bears, not beholden to the fan base and what the perception was that the, the team that uh, what needed to happen for the team, right? Um, you know, and you know, w- whichever way that 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 is shaped up. He was going to go with it. If, if there was a run on on DBs in the first round, there was more wide receivers available. Mm-hmm. I can almost guarantee that it was going to be a wide receiver taken at thirty nine because that particular position was also high need. And it would have been an ideal guy available. Um, but, you know, the thing about it is, like I said, he, he, he you know, he, he dropped his sack. He had a spine. He stuck true to the plan. And I love the fact, like Danny said, that the guy was transparent with us. The guy he's been transparent with us since day one let's not get that twisted. The guy, as opposed to the previous guy who was, you know, hiding in bunkers and not wanting to address the media for all of the, uh, the nonsense that was going on in inside the franchise. This Mm -hmm. guy has been transparent in front telling us what's going on, explaining, you know, the, the the plan, uh, you know, the, the, uh, the, um, the progressive mindset in terms of how we're moving forward from here since day one. And he did a great job after the draft as well. pretty much explaining his thought process and the the plan moving forward as the draft progressed. And, you know, as fans, we have to love that. Not only because that's the way it's supposed to be done, but especially because what we had before was so lacking and left us so in the dark. And I'm not saying that the role of the GM is to always go out into the media and explain all the secrets and, and, you know, pull down all all the, all the curtains and open up all the windows and everything else. There has to be some things that are, that are, that are locked up tight in, in safes. Um, Because, you know, nobody's, nobody's, uh, you know, privy and and privileged to things that happen within the four walls. Let's, let's, let's let's establish that. But in terms of, of, um, you know, acknowledging where we go from here, he's been phenomenal at that. And I appreciate that. I know you guys appreciate that. I know all of, our, all of our listeners and watchers appreciate that. And that's that's the biggest thing to me so far. That, that, that is the biggest positive I can draw out of the, this overturn so far is that we have a GM that we feel like – I feel like I'm speaking for both of you on, on this podcast right now. I feel like we have a plan, whereas the previous two years I felt like we were just throwing shit up against the wall and, saw, and just, you know, hoping it's stuck. Mm
0: great stuff guys uh this is our season finale and um boy one of the thrills of uh the this whole Room network deal that we run here is working with you two guys you really put it out uh out there all of the study all of the research uh all of the collaboration i hate to use that word nowadays <laughs> it's <a> bad word. <laughs> but uh it's been great all season long um uh, danny as our lead draft analyst uh why don't you uh uh, share with us your final thoughts for this uh, uh, closing episode of Draft on Tap.
1: Yeah, it's, you're gonna make me cry here. You're gonna make me emotional here. All the things <laughs> stop that. But um, no, I mean it's, it's it's been a hell of a ride, guys. I mean, it, we we came into this process knowing that we had limited draft picks, but we kept kind of stressing. Hey, it's 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 still very important in terms of you got to find players. There's a tons of holes on this on this roster. We were, you know, we were worried about you know the lack of draft capital. And lo and behold, Ryan Poles does this thing and he, and he gets you know 11 picks out of here. So. Uh, it's been a long, tedious process. It's been fun. I, I love interacting with with the our listeners, our, our people in the chat room, and and you know, they you know people on Twitter in terms of you know some of the players and prospects they want us to break down. So yeah, that makes this this show really fun. That I mean that really makes this you know this show tick here. So um, you know. I, love the show. I love doing it. And I, I love the grind of, of studying scouting film and, and, and breaking out players. So, um, I'm already on, I'm already on to 2023 guys. I'm already making my list for 2023. I, I got, I got eight players. I got a down for, for some, some friends of mine, and I'm going to have to do some reports. So I, you know, the, the show might be done, but I'm, I'm not done breaking down tape just yet.
0: And we're going to lean on you to share some of those reports. Uh, Neil, it's all yours.
1: (laughs) Yeah, I
2: kind of feel the same way. I've already started to look at my list for, you know, next season. Um, I'm not sure exactly what the format's going to be, if we're going to go back to where it was last year, where we started everything up in October and, you know, drug it through the holidays and into draft season, or if we're going to stick with draft season and and rock and roll from January into April. But, uh, you know, the one thing I know is that we're going to be back and we're going to be locked and loaded and ready to go. We should have a, a ton of draft picks, uh, this upcoming year. Um, and, uh, you know, we'll have a lot of holes to fill still, you know, we keep saying how this roster is going to be rough around the edges this year. It's, it's, it's going to be a little bit bumpy ride, kind of like a wooden roller coaster at great America. You know, you're going to come out with a headache at the end, but just know that you're going to have a good time all the way through. Cause we got something fresh and new coming our way. Um, but yeah, moving forward. I mean, my, my schedule pretty much matches that of, uh, of the NFL and also college football right now, since I'm, since I also scout these high school kids and anecdotally, I don't know where the hell we're going to be in the draft class of like, you know, 2030, but there's like, there's some seventh and eighth graders right now that are running 10, five and, and below that are going to be absurdly high draft picks in the coming years. They're going to be like, you know, monster, you know, superstars at the college level. And I'll, I'll, I'll share some of that coming up here, you know, on, on Twitter and everything else. I mean, I'm, I'm finding some absolute studs down in, uh, down in the South right now, but, um, so, yeah I mean you know the, the summer's gonna be kind of light for all of us uh, but uh, doesn't mean we're gonna, we're not gonna be looking at guys um, as always if you guys have questions if you guys have you know players that you want way too early scouting reports on way too early you know draft uh, you know projections on you know feel free to go ahead and give us a shout uh, make sure you follow all the all the all the Twitter handles mine at Neil stopchinski Dan, Danny the Dshimon 56. Aldo at Barroom Network, the the draft on tap handle at draft tap, and uh, you know interact with us as much as you can during the off season. We'll have an idea of what we're going to do next next season of it. Hopefully, you know over the summertime, we'll let you guys know, you know, when we're going to be back. But uh, you know, it's gonna be it's gonna be a, a, a long way from uh, you know coming back home, man. I'm I'm getting kind of choked up just thinking about it. You know, <laughs> I feel like semi sonic closing time should be playing in the background somewhere. The lights coming <laughs> on right now. You yeah. know, Listen but. Speaking of ours, happy <laughs> Cinco de Mayo. Everybody out there. Yes. I don't, I was don't know how many of you have tacos or, or enchiladas or margaritas in hand. I got margarita in my hand right here next to me. I've been enjoying today as much as I possibly could while also burying myself neck deep in the film. But, uh,
0: Oh, there it is. There it is. is. Some music. He's
4: going to (laughs) go on here right
0: now. I want to assure everyone that uh, our Bears uh, programming does not end uh, with this final episode for the season of Draft on Tap. Neil and Danny said, draft on tap, we'll be back, we'll announce when, but in the meantime, Greg Gabriel uh, will continue his show, he may not be doing a weekly show, but as, as soon as there's news, uh, Greg will call me up and, and you'll yell at me, I want to go on, <laughs> and so we'll always keep you posted, Best way I keep track of what we're doing, is to subscribe to our YouTube channel, you'll get alerts uh, when we're live with all of our programming, but back to the topic of Bears football, the Dan and Aldo Bear, their so show, we'll be talking football throughout the offseason and of course into the season. Uh, Those of you who do not know Dan Aguirre, he has got a tremendous memory for uh, past Bears seasons and so uh, he and I are going to talk about some of his favorite seasons and most disappointing seasons. For instance, I think one of our first shows is going to be the 2010 uh, Bears season where uh, we went to the NFC Championship game and lost to the Packers. We're going to look at that entire season and rely on Dan's uh, prolific memory uh, for some stories, and we'll get some video and audio on that, too. Uh, We'll also have uh, coverage of the Bears on the Mac and Reed Show, which is our new show on Wednesday nights at 7. That show will be moving to Thursday. We'll have a bear show on Thursday, a week from today, the bears schedule release show. Uh, So I'm hoping Neil and Danny can pop in. John Buffon will be hosting, get a reaction to uh, the uh, schedule release uh, and see how it is we're gonna uh, possibly go 17 and 0. But that's just the beginning. We are planning some other new shows for the Bears season or retooling some of our other shows, for instance, the bear debate we're retooling that and i'm not going to announce what that's going to look like but i think everyone is going to be really super excited about how that show is going to look like because it's going to be bigger and better than ever before and of course, after every Chicago Bears game, whether it's a Sunday game, a Monday game, a Thursday game, whenever they play, we'll be live with a two or three-hour show analyzing the Chicago Bears. So that's uh, that's a, a preview of all the Bears content that we have, and uh, and there'll be much more. I, I promise you that. So for Danny Shiman, for Neil Stokczynski, and for our two guests today, Chris Emma and Courtney Cronin. I want to wish you all a very happy Cinco de Mayo and have a great weekend and we'll see you all very soon. All I need to do is play this light.